Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. This murderer reportedly bought his gun legally. I don't know whether the Knicks system failed, but I do know that there isn't likely a law existing or imagined that would have prevented it. Anyone who says otherwise isn't being honest with you. Speaking of honesty, if you're like me, you turn on the news to get information, a set of facts. If you want opinion, you come to shows like mine, where our prejudices and biases and opinions are made known. There's no false pretense that you're getting pure objectivity here. Well, if you turned on cable news last night and this morning, it's safe to say you didn't get the news. That's because when it comes to guns, news anchors, news anchors take off their journalist hats and put on their activist hats. And they do it without shame or disclaimers because they believe righteousness is the same thing as being right. Many of these journalists blamed the gun lobby for what happened yesterday. They blamed the NRA, which represents law-abiding gun owners like me. I'll say it again, law-abiding gun owners. They blamed Republicans because Republicans represent a sizable constituency of gun owners who already comply with thousands of Byzantine gun laws that criminals don't follow. And so Republican lawmakers who do their jobs in representing those constituents are the problem. Republicans are also, these journalists will tell you, too afraid of the NRA to stand up to them. They'll courageously take to Twitter to link GOP lawmakers with the money they've received from the NRA. What they never say is that the NRA is why we have a background checks system in the first place. And it's the gun lobby fighting for it to be enforced. They, in fact, blame you because without a law degree, you couldn't possibly understand the Constitution. No, it's your ill-conceived notions of what the Second Amendment means that's the problem because you're too stupid to interpret it correctly. You know, the way they do. Then they put a Democratic lawmaker on or a former Republican lawmaker who shares their point of view to complain that Republicans will never do anything about guns. They never, these journalists, ask those lawmakers what Democrats did about gun control when they had the White House, the House, and the Senate for two years under Barack Obama. Because the answer is nothing. These journalists never say... Where was Democrats' courage? Were Democrats too afraid to lose their seats like they did in 1994 to pass another assault weapons ban when they could? Instead, they shake their heads, wag their fingers, look at the camera, and tell us to shut up because journalism. If they spend an hour blaming Republican lawmakers for the deaths of school children and calling their constituents too stupid to understand their own rights, don't be surprised when they don't want to come on. Maybe if they stopped disguising activism as journalism, they would. Maybe if they could have these conversations without offending half the country, they would. No, 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 let's let's keep having the same one-sided conversations on the news and then pound our fists that nothing ever changes. That makes way more sense. Look, this issue is hard. It's emotional. It's important. I want to change this as much as anybody. But we'll never get change as long as these people are leading the discussion. I don't-
don't think we should have knee-jerk bans because it doesn't do anything to address gun violence. You can kill someone with a revolver. There are other ways of modifying weapons to make them just as effective. So we have to be very careful about that. It's not going to make us safer. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 18th of February, year of our Lord, 2018. And that is S.E. Cup and Kennedy from uh, CNN and I think MSDNC, or Fox, excuse me, bringing down the heat on the gun grabbers. Because once again, this is going to be a very centric uh, media activism section uh, podcast. It's just going to be hard not to. I have heard things on TV that just make my head spin. Um, I understand it is hard to watch 17 kids get killed. And it's hard as a parent, and remember, I'm a parent, I'm a grandparent, to wrap your head around it. But the things that I've ran into since last podcast um, and the things I've witnessed in our media and read are pretty doggone bad. Um Secondly, if you hear some music in the background, the wife is going to be getting her jam on while she's painting, so a little uh, ambience of uh, hard rock is never bad for a podcast, never never bad at all. So uh, Kennedy was getting attacked over this, uh, so I pulled up one of her tweets, a reply, I thought it was pretty good. Yes, but how do you do it? It's one thing to say, let's take all the guns away, that'll fix it. And actually taking the guns away, it's easy to oversimplify and almost impossible to act. And, you know, not only did I have one, I've had now four people ask me, why do you own that weapon? And I understand it's really hard for liberals to grasp the concept that other people have views on anything, okay? But guns in particular. Um, I think guns even more than abortion. They just are not part of the gun culture. They, they think guns are evil. And because they think they're the smartest people in the building, they think they have the audacity to say, why do you own that? I've heard from politicians, local politicians, we need a gun registry when those same people are against the 20-week ban. And I, I just think it sums up liberalism in, in a nutshell, this argument, because I, in a million years, have never asked somebody, why'd you have that abortion? It's none of my goddamn business. Why do you believe there's 95 pronouns? I don't ask those questions. I, it's your life. You do you, I do me. But liberals believe they have the right to ask people those questions. They believe they have a right to instill gun registries, which we already have one. Once again, manufacturer to broker, broker to local gun store, local gun store to you. It's called a 4473. So they need to find out who has ARs. They can do it. It's going to take them a while. But they can't understand when you shoot back at them. Well, the moment you give a gun registry to liberals, they're going to try to collect the guns because that's what they're trying to do right now. And when you give them the answer that I take that AR, going off my original premise, because I kind of went on a tangent. It's, I go to target practicing. They're like, why? Because I want to. 
That's my right as an American citizen. If you have a problem with it, try to go rewrite the Constitution, which is being pushed right now. You'll never get the states to ratify it. You couldn't get the Equal Rights Amendment to go through for women. You're never getting this. You know, considering women are over 50% of the population or about 50% of the population. So if you couldn't get it with 50% of the population, how the fuck are you going to get it for gun owners when gun owners outnumber non-gun owners? So anyway, Chris Saliza, uh, you know, these are pre-things where we fire for effect. Um, literally saying, yes, this is happening. It was a picture of Fox calling the media out for gun control. That's all they were doing. CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, all of them were full-fledged activists this week. And he was offended by it, Stephen Miller. Hi, Chris. And he gave him tweets. Tweets. One of them was Katie Tour. even works as the Act 18th this year. Every one of these groups, and I'm going to play the Everytown soundbite. They had this thing probably prepackaged, but they ran it out. Lying. Every town lies all the time. They they don't even try to be the truth, but this isn't the 18th school. And then he literally pulled out every mediaite, every media network with the 18th school shootings, which is a total lie. It took 36 hours for the AP to correct this. White nationalists appear to have lied to the AP other news outlets when he claimed the Florida school shooting suspect was a member of his group. That took 36 hours. The original tweet is still up. They never confirmed. Some guy came forward and tried to claim responsibility. And I want you to just pause for a second. When there's a terrorist attack in the Muslim Brotherhood or Antifa, or what's the difference? <laughs> ISIS or Al-Qaeda claim it. It has not been verified. They they defend terrorists, but American citizens, no, 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 no. It, it was a white nationalist. The reality, there was 41,000 retweets, 50,000 likes of their lie, very little, 3,000, my friends, retweets on the correction. They were probably conservatives. So before we get into it, I want to read a little bit of David Harsani's We Can't Have a Debate About Guns if Liberals Keep Lying About Them. Op-ed. It was in The Federalist. There's always a lot of emotion after a horrific school shooting, and that's completely understandable. There's also an immediate push to vague, do-something gun control legislation, often wholly untethered from the incident it is purporting to stop, which is less understandable. Worse, most of these efforts are bolstered by falsehoods and half-truths that make the it virtually impossible to have a genuine discussion. It's an endless task, but let's just take Joe Scarborough at the Washington Post column he put out on Parkland. The former congressman who once voted to repeal the assault weapons ban and never once stood up to the boogeyman NRA when there were any political risks tells us he's in a reasonable conservative who believes in the Second Amendment. I was relieved the court confirmed that citizens have a constitutional right to possess handguns at home for the purpose of protection, Scarborough writes after the Heller decision. That's nice. But while Scarborough exceptionally narrow definition of Heller possess handguns at home for the purpose of protection might be convenient for a political argument, it's misleading. The Heller decision found that the Second Amendment was an individual right to keep and bear arms for any lawful purpose, not just to defend yourself. 
It found that the Second Amendment guaranteed the individual right to possess and carry weapons in the case of confrontations. And it specifically struck down a portion of D.C. law that required rifles and shotguns to be kept unloaded and disassembled or bound by a trigger lock. Scarborough then wrote this paragraph. If Trump and the NRA try to tell you it is your God-given constitutional right to stockpile weapons of war, they're lying. But don't take my word for it. And the District of Columbus versus Heller, Supreme Court Justice Scalia, ruled that the regulation of gun ownership was compatible with the Second Amendment. Important limitation is fairly supported by the historical tradition of prohibiting the carrying of dangerous and unusual weapons. This article goes on to say nobody was doing that. Uh, nobody's stockpiling weapons, and that's not what he meant, but okay. Heller, though, found that the Second Amendment protected weapons in common use by law-abiding citizens. The AR-15 meets this criteria. If Scarborough and others are proposing banning all semi-automatic handguns and rifles, that's their right. But their contention that ARs are weapons of war, dangerous and unusual, is all bullshit. The assault weapon or assault rifle mostly means scary-looking. Moreover, though, there are probably around 15 million ARs in civilian hands today. They're responsible for a small number of gun deaths. About 2% of gun homicides in 2016 were perpetuated by rifles, and not all of them were AR-15s. The vast majority of gun homicides and suicides are committed using the kind of handgun that Scarborough believes America should own. Nor do murderers need AR-15s to shoot up schools. From 1999 to 2013, assault rifles were used in 27% of mass shooting, defined as four more victims in one shooting. Singhai Cho killed 32 people in a gun-free zone in Virginia using two semi-automatic handguns. Hmm. Yeah. It's true that today only 15% of adults live in households in which they or their spouse were hunters. It is an all-time low. The highest level was 31.6 in 1977. The second statistic offered by Scarborough, though, conveniently moves from household to individual, which makes the numbers of gun owners seem far smaller than it is. Sure, gun collectors will own a large percentage of individual guns. And yes, infants and elderlies don't triply typically collects six hours. But according to Gallup, 42% of households still feature a firearm, though I'm skeptical that many Americans answer this question honestly. The number has fluctuated from 49 and 61 to 34 and 98. Overall, those are still consequential numbers. They've changed little. Here, here's the problem. A lot of people own illegal firearms. And a lot of people are so shamed right now, it's no different than saying I voted for Trump. He then goes on, Poll after poll proves I'm not the one out of touch, Scarborough writes after listening to a bunch of nebulous regulation he claims America support. Let's not forget that the last time Scarborough told us the GOP was going to pay dearly for failing to adopt restrictive gun legislation, the Republicans won a wave election. Now principal people don't let the vulgarities of polling dictate their positions, but they also tend to wait for specifics. Everyone wants safer gun ownership. What many don't want are laws that inhibit legal ownership. That's basically all the Democrats have offered. A big part of the problem is that gun control advocates have a singular obsession with guns, specifically a peculiar style of gun and very little concern for proper enforcement or warning systems or cultural trends that have led to mass shootings or mental health risk or how we cover these shootings. The rejection of holistic solutions exemplifies the real intention and makes Second Amendment advocates rightfully suspicious. To dovetail on this, in Knoxville was a big Antifa uprising. uprising. I'm in the South. Higher percentage of gun ownership in the South. 
black block anarchists from Nashville, get cops, get the fuck off our campus. Student-led protests at the University of Tennessee today against police and Nazis. Why do you think people want guns? What, what Scarborough, who once again is putting his dick in Mika Brzezinski, so thus he's become a liberal, what they keep forgetting. Antifa scares the shit out of people. Black Lives Matter scares the shit out of people. When, when cops can get ambushed in Dallas, why would Americans not want guns? Nobody wants to go back to these incidents and say, oh wow, there was a spice, spike in purchasing of firearms. Nobody wants to cover that. Doesn't fit their agenda. So, I wanted to read that as we go into our fire for effect. A lot of sound bites today, but I think it's imperative to make the case. The moment the bodies were not cold, our media decided to drop the journalism tag and become activists. <laughs> something that's really hard for a lot of us to believe, but it's true, Governor, uh, and I want you to explain it. Uh, this shooter, uh, he wasn't old enough to buy a handgun, you got to be 21, uh, but he could buy at the age of 18, a year or so ago, an AR-15 style assault weapon in Florida. Why is that? We we are going to look at all these things. Let, let me phrase it another way, because this is uh, this is really shocking to so many of us, uh, Governor. Uh, he wasn't old enough to buy a beer legally in your state. You got to be 21 years old. So why is it that in Florida he could buy an assault weapon at the age of 18? Yeah. Well, I think I think it's a legitimate question. He certainly wouldn't have been able to kill as many young people and others if he had a different kind of weapon. Uh, so I, I I just want you to tell our viewers you're going to take action as the governor of Florida to change this to prevent this from happening again. Legislative, it's not that complicated. You just got to pass some new laws to make it more difficult for 18 year olds to buy assault weapons, right? Right. Well, I don't. I, we are not. We, we're going to figure out exactly what we can do, uh, and I'm going to work through you know, all the leaders in the state, um, local and state, and we're going to we're going to figure this out. I, I do not want this to happen again. Because Florida is such an important state right now, and the, the laws need to be tightened. You have so many tourists who come there; they want to feel safe when they come to Florida. Who will be these domestic terrorists enablers? Who are going to be the useful idiots in the media, on websites, and on Capitol Hill that will make excuses for the gun lobby? Who are going to be the useful idiots that are going to make excuses 
Who will be the useful idiots that will continue to do the gun lobby's business? Who will be the useful idiots that will promote agenda that's not about gun rights and not about gun safety, but instead is just about the bloody bottom line? What Republicans cower in the corner on Capitol Hill today and what useful idiots in the media go out and trot out their same tired excuses. Senator Ruby, who would not have been welcome at this table this morning? No. By your standards, correct? That's correct. Yeah. But uh, we welcome him anytime he would like to talk about the actual policy issue. and issues. Mm. And Nika, what are your final thoughts? Well, I just think that it's, uh, you know, hearing anybody in Washington saying now is not the time is, it's old. It's been used too many times. There are too many bodies in the wake of this conversation that we can't have at this appropriate time. I'd say to Marco Rubio, step up, be a man, talk about it right now. Or to Benny, anybody else who tries to deflect the question about what to do about guns and assault weapons in our society, step up, be a man, and talk about it. And stop thinking about the NRA and your next uh, campaign donation. Just stop. Everyone knows what you're doing. And it's time. That does it for us this morning. Stephanie Rule picks up the coverage right now. Thanks so much, Mika. Thanks, Joe. And to Marco Rubio, you don't have to step up and be a man. Step up and be a human. This morning. Listen, I mean, obviously, you know, we've asked all sorts of lawmakers to come on today to have a conversation. You know that there are always lawmakers who say, too soon, too soon. It's not, you know, sort of courteous or respectful. We're going to have that conversation today. And also, you know, look, you can call that out as what it is. That's BS, right? We heard it after Vegas. Bump stock, an obvious fix. Charles Ramsey was talking about the application of silencers and what difference. God forbid this uh, madman had had one of those on his weapon. It was too soon. Have we ever discussed it since? Never. But you're doing what we need to have done this morning, Allison. You're in the right place at the right time. Uh, and we'll be back to you in just a second. So, look. Uh, we, you've seen this picture before. You've seen schools like this before. You've heard the thoughts and prayers stuff before. You've seen the families. So what happens? President Trump just tweeted about the deadly shooting. Here it is again. I think it's important that you hear it because it expresses so much about how stupid this situation is. So many signs that the Florida shooter was mentally disturbed, even expelled from school for bad and erratic behavior. That's all true. Neighbors and classmates knew he was a big problem. That is also true. Must always report such instances to authorities again and again. The president so far hasn't spoken publicly about the tragedy, but I think the tweet is enough to show where his head is on this and what it is that he fundamentally doesn't get. Let's bring in CNN political analyst Maggie Haberman, White House correspondent for the New York Times. You reported, Maggie, thank you for being with us this morning, that his aides had been asking him to do more. Maybe he made the right call because that's a dumb thing he just put out. Um, but yesterday uh, he was re uh, reluctant to do so. And look, that is not, to your point, this is not his strong suit, um, being the... Uh, comforter-in-chief, being the person who sends sort of a moral message, um, we have very infrequently seen him do that. In a word, the White House um, chose not to go forward with a briefing yesterday, the, the daily press briefing, um, which uh, one has to assume is in part because they were facing yet another round of really uncomfortable questions for themselves about the Rod Porter situation, mm -hmm. um, and this provided a reason to not do it. Um, part of the presidency is 
that you provide leadership in moments like this, and this has just not been what he does. Republicans hide in these situations. Marco Rubio uh, said some things that sound right politically, but they're wrong. This isn't an inexplicable tragedy. Uh, if you, it's, not an, it's not an act of God. Right, and you, you prayer for victims. Right. What kind of prayer uh, suggests that you will do nothing? But where is he this morning? He's on Fox. Where's Governor Scott this morning? They're on Fox. They're in the mothership. You know, I hope our brothers and sisters over there take their responsibility seriously. You've got the access to these people. They think it's a safe haven. Ask them the questions that matter, because that's why they're there. They're hiding. So what you're starting to hear now, what I think is somewhat different about some of these other events, is a certain degree of, of moral outrage from some uh, senators that I've spoken to this morning, including Kamala Harris from California. Take a listen. When you see the effect of this extreme violence on a human body, and especially the body of a child, maybe it will shock some people into understanding this cannot be a political issue. We have to be practical. I support the Second Amendment, but we have to have, we have, to have smart gun safety laws. And we cannot tolerate a society and, and, and live in a country with any level of pride when our babies are being slaughtered. So, Stephanie, the question is, can that level of outrage be sustained and can it be translated into anything on Capitol Hill? History says no, but everyone here, I think, is hoping perhaps this time's different. Garrett, we've got to have more than conversations. It's certainly time. Because he was not 21. He could not have bought a pistol which shoots people one by one by one by one, but he could walk in and legally buy a semi-automatic weapon. Who knows if he used a bump stock? Does it really matter? And mow down children. He can Despite mow down fact, children with a semi-automatic, but he can't buy a single-fire yeah. 9-millimeter Glock. Why is the Glock federally regulated and a semi-automatic weapon which we've seen in these circumstances and i'm sorry i'm getting angry about this in terms of when you talk about semi-automatic weapons it's the ability to pull the trigger as much as fast as you can and then empty the, 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 the clip and so it could be a pistol it could be an ar-15 mm. and in virginia tech they he used only pistols so both have devastating uh, potential there have been at least 12 at least 12 school shootings in america so far in 2018 it's february 15th we're averaging one just about every three or four days. How we do in America? Everyone okay with that? Apparently the answer is in fact yes, because we haven't done virtually anything to stop it. We haven't done virtually anything. I don't believe in a single one of these politicians. I don't believe any of them have the courage it takes to actually push through reform. In fact, since Newtown, there have been nearly 300 school shootings in America, about one a week. If 20 dead first graders don't spur people to action, what will? And then there are the guns. Don't, don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. No gun reforms are getting through. They're not. And most of the ones that will be proposed in the wake of this shooting will be utterly meaningless and wouldn't have even arguably prevented this killing. The NRA is too powerful. Our politicians are too weak. And the guns are too ubiquitous. Guess how many guns there are in America, do you know? Over 300 million. I and other parents have to send our kids to school and play Russian roulette with their lives. One part of it is courage. To get honest, to give a damn, to maybe take that 25 billion for the border wall and as my friend Geraldo Rivera suggested, redirect it toward this. So let's unpack that. That's uh, Wolf Blitzer attacking Governor, Governor Scott. Mojo gun advocates are useful idiots. 
rule on Mojo. Be a human, Rubio, because somehow every Florida politician that's Republican, they pulled the trigger. Um, Cuomo saying too soon is BS, full activist mode. CNN, Trump's stupid for what he said. That, that made no sense. CBS, our babies are getting slaughtered. Here are some pro-abortion gun-grabbing Dems. That's basically what I saw. I didn't hear anything they said. Those people are all about a million-plus babies being killed by Planned Parenthood. They're fine with that. But God damn it, take away these guns. Katie Turr, clueless about semi-automatic. And if you think you are a gun-grabber, you would know what guns are. That's what I wrote down. That That's exactly what I wrote down. If you're so into taking guns... Why the fuck don't you know what semi-automatic is? And then Megyn Kelly, the NRA is too strong. I watched Megyn Kelly uh, two days after the shooting, and I'm here to tell you, she was in full activist mode. You can tell there's been a long descent from what she was on Fox to what she is now. Um, she was all in. All in. With the gun grab. Now we're going to go to lies. We're going to have all the networks pushing Trump has no policy. Then pushing this repeal of an obscure law. The ACLU is for this law. But somehow it made this crazy be able to buy the gun even though he was of age. And HIPAA laws restrict us from doing mental health. But okay. Matthew spewing incorrect stats. Cuomo spouting gun control as part of MAGA. Yeah. Let's listen to these. That was President Trump, uh, as you heard there, deciding not to address any uh, policy ideas at all in his remarks, leaving it mostly um, trying to strike an empathetic tone. Again, right now, Robin, the big question for this White House going forward, when is the time, if not now, to talk about gun control? Perhaps this is the shooting that will uh, inspire them to take up this policy discussion. It's a major. What did you hear different from the president? Not much. Uh, the president really did the logistics of yesterday, which most of the country is already well familiar with, described the need to come together. He's done that before after mass shootings. And if the country in any way, shape, or form was yearning for some recognition that firearms played a role in this catastrophe, you got none of that from President Trump. I guess what struck me most about those remarks is they made a lot of sense if he uttered them yesterday. Today, it feels as if he's almost like about eight hours behind. Yeah, Chuck, I think that's exactly right. Well, Jeff, the president didn't have a lot to say today about what he actually plans to do about school shootings. One thing he did say he wants to do is, quote, work with state and local leaders to help secure our schools and tackle the difficult issue of mental health. But just last year, the president signed legislation reversing an Obama-era regulation that would have made it more difficult for some people with mental illness to buy guns. Despite emphasizing mental health, the White House's newly unveiled budget would slash funding for Medicaid that covers a quarter of mental health care in the U.S. And President Trump last year revoked a hotly contested Obama-era regulation that would have made it harder for some people with mental illness to buy guns. Calling the shooter mentally disturbed, his message was clear. We are committed to working with state and local leaders to help secure our schools and tackle the difficult issue of mental health. But shortly after taking office, President Trump blocked an Obama-era rule that made it tougher for the mentally ill to obtain guns. 
Today, no mention of gun control. Federal law bans anyone deemed by authorities as mentally ill from buying guns, but tonight it's unclear whether any court or commission designated Cruz as mentally unfit. So it appears he fell through the cracks, David. Good evening, I'm Chris Matthews in Washington, D.C., occupied territory of the American gun lobby. So here we go again. Once again, a mass shooting and once again, a mass inaction by our politicians. And once again, someone's taken a battlefield weapon, the AR-15, into an American school and opened fire. And once again, we are told to shut up about it. We are asked not to, we're not to ask why this battlefield weapon designed for the single purpose of killing lots of humans quickly has once again been put to its design purpose of killing lots of humans fast. This is no time for politics. Those in the pocket of the national rifle association tell us we are not even mentioned stopping this open traffic to teenagers in semi-automatic combat guns and since sandy hook by the way where 20 children were murdered there have been roughly 1600 mass shootings in this country so far there have been 18 school shootings in this new year alone and with all the grief and chaos it's been the voices of the nra funded politicians let me say that again the nra funded politicians rising above the din he had a plan what's the plan of those who are playing defense my question let me go to kurt on that what is the defensive plan anybody got one what's the nra plan to protect our schools there is no plan the plan is to be helpless. The plan is to continue to feed the people that have been giving you money and to turn a blind eye to tragedy. You know, I like how when it's an illegal immigrant that commits a crime, we need new policy. Yeah. We need to do something because our safety is at risk. When it involves a gun, well, we need to take a step back. We need to wait and see, get all the facts. Why is there a double standard on tragedy with Donald Trump and Republicans? Something that you wouldn't be able to make up if you wanted to create a destructive fiction for a society where a mother has to sit next to her child, um, and you interviewed them and asked them all the right questions to help us understand what this is like for them. And she says, well, I've taken the active shooter course, and he has, and he's depending on the teachers, you know, and for them to do the right thing when this happens the next time. That's the best we can do? It really is just such a disgrace. Allison, uh, thanks for taking us down there so that we can be focused on the right things this morning. So where are our leaders? Well, they're not on this show, and I bet you you're not going to see many of them on TV today because they're hiding from the reality, and they'll disguise it as sympathy and sensitivity. Wow, what an irony. President Trump, he tweeted condolences to the families of school shootings and their victims, but... He hasn't made any public comments about this senseless attack, despite aides reportedly urging him to speak. CNN's Abby Phillip is live at the White House after Las Vegas when we had some low-hanging fruit there to deal with in the form of a bump stock, something that should never be available. He said, we'll be talking about gun laws soon. Not a word since. What are we going to do to stop the school shootings? They don't even ask that question, and that goes all the way to the top. The president has that hashtag MAGA, right? Make America great again. How can you not include this issue in part of that agenda? He's supposed to be a change agent, right? We are the scourge of the world when it comes to these. Nobody is worse than we are. How does that not make the MAGA? At no time during the preceding two sound bites have you ever, ever heard journalism. Incorrect statistics, a group that's sole purpose is to rewrite the Second Amendment is where they're getting their stats every time. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, literally unbelievable 
Because you would never see it for abortion. You would never see it for anything else. You never see stats on our TV about how many illegal immigrants are committing crime in the United States. They're there. I show you on this show all the time. But you never see that. It would never be on a major network. They're straight up activists. And to make matters worse, it wasn't just, you know, hey, the usual argument, uh, NRA is killing our kids. NRA owns Republicans. Totally forgetting, as we'll see by the end of this section, that, you know, once again, Planned Parenthood owns the Democratic Party. They ignore whole statistics. Whole statistics about the plurality of Americans against 20-week after 20-week abortions. A polarity against federally funded. But they ignore all those. Alright? They just go up to the NRA. That's not enough for some people. So here's CBS and Nicole Wallace. Basically, the only way we get gun control is a bunch of white people get killed. Because, remember, intersectionality... You gotta make it racist also. Good morning. A pattern is emerging with President Trump and high profile crimes when committed by immigrants, legal or otherwise, there are rapid calls for new and restrictive policies. After mass shootings, the White House tendency is to say, wait, gather facts. And there have been no calls for restrictions on access to firearms. And the president's emphasis on mental health, it's undercut by his own record. In February of last year, Mr. Trump signed a bill killing an Obama-era regulation which allowed the Social Security Administration to provide information on severely mentally disabled people to the National Background Check database. Toxic masculinity can't be the answer here because women constantly engage in mass shootings. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, wait. No. There are no none of these mass shootings in this history post-Columbine. I don't believe there's a single one. Someone will correct me out there if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's there's one. California, Alabama. So they're out of these hundreds that we've had, hundreds of cases. We can find two that where a woman has been involved, and hundreds, literally hundreds, in which men, and almost exclusively, not exclusively, but almost exclusively, young white men. But what's going on now? All of a sudden, we have so many more of these things happening. What's happening in the culture? And I, I again, don't have the answer to this, but somewhere, in, it's in sociology, and it's in anthropology, and it talks, it's something about the crisis of, that's going on among masculine identity, among young white men in America. But that I, is but why I there's think, something think, in there. I think you were making a different point, though. You're making a point about, you're making a racial point as well, that that, that, that people in in, yeah. in urban settings, this is, we're talking about this because, let's be honest, 17 white kids were, I mean, mm -hmm. I think you're making a yes. point, Eddie. Well, I wish you guys were having this conversation. That's so we're walking in Chicago, in, in Jackson, Mississippi, in Oakland, right? Folks are living with the, with the consequences motion. of guns. The, the slow motion mass shooting. Exactly. That's why. See, for me, I just laugh at that. You can't have it both ways, progressives. If saying Chicago and talking about the horrors of Chicago, which you never print, you never talk about, you never do segments on NBC, CNN, nobody fucking cares that over 500 million African Americans get killed a year by African Americans in the city of Chicago. Because you shut it down and say it's racist. It's racist to talk about it. You're a fucking racist. Still don't understand how that works. But it, that's how you do it. And then to come back and say, well, when white people died, he, he, does, you know, once again, it's minorities. When they kill somebody, Trump talks about it. Well, there's a big difference. 
There's a big difference. What Trump's talking about it, conservatives are talking about it. It's a fucking terrorist who never should have been in the goddamn country, but you believe in unfettered, unrestricted migration. No vetting. Bring them all in. And to show it's just not the media, as we start going into our tweet portion of this, Steve Kerr, which couldn't get the soundbite, Popovich, all these virtue-signaling white basketball coaches, they got in it. And so did Jimmy Kimmel. So here is, we'll call it, a celebrity ranting. And tell me if any time during this, it doesn't sound like, oh, we just hate Trump. Well, I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, the league is uh, made up of uh, a lot of black guys. You know, so to honor that and understand it is pretty simplistic. Uh, how would you ignore that? But more importantly, you know, we live in a racist country that hasn't figured it out yet. And it's always important to bring attention to it, uh, even if it angers some people. You know, the point is that you have to keep it in front of everybody's nose so they understand it still hadn't been taken care of and we have a lot of work to do. As I'm sure you know and feel, this is another very sad day in America, another senseless shooting, this time at a high school in uh, Parkland, Florida, where a gunman, a former student, opened fire yesterday. Again, 17 lives have been lost, more than a dozen people are hospitalized, and our president, as he should, weighed in on the tragic events this morning from the White House. We are all joined together as one American family, and you're suffering is our burden also. No child, no teacher, should ever be in danger in an American school. Agreed. No parent should ever have to fear for their sons and daughters when they kiss them goodbye in the morning. Agreed. So I agree with both of those statements. And here's what you do to fix that. Tell your buddies in Congress, tell Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell and Marco Rubio, all the family men who care so much about their communities, that what we need are laws, real laws, that do everything possible to keep assault rifles out of the hands of people who are going to shoot our kids. Go on TV and tell them to do that. That's that is a perfect example of the common sense you told us you were going to bring to the White House. It's time to bring it. We need it. Tell these congressmen and lobbyists who infest that swamp you said you were going to drain, force these allegedly Christian men and women who stuff their pockets with money from the NRA year after year after year to do something now, not later, now. And don't you dare let anyone say it's too soon to be talking about it because you said it after Vegas, you said it after Sandy Hook, you say that after every one of these eight now fatal school shootings we had in this country this year, children are being murdered. Do something. We still haven't even talked about it. You still haven't done anything about nothing. You've literally done nothing. Actually, you've done worse than nothing. You like to say this is a mental health issue, but one of your very first acts as president, Mr. Trump, was to actually roll back the regulations that were designed to keep firearms out of the hands of the mentally ill. You did that. Your party voted to repeal the mandates on coverage for mental health. So I agree this is a mental illness issue because if you don't think we need to do something about it, you're obviously mentally ill. And it is amazing to me 
that if one illegal immigrant causes a car accident, we've got to build a wall to keep the rest of them out. Why are you looking for solutions to that problem and not this one? Every reasonable American, Republican or Democrat, knows that something has to be done, something. And we're not doing anything. But go ahead, I'll let you finish. To every parent, teacher and child who is hurting so badly, we are here for you, whatever you need, whatever we can do to ease your pain. Great. Okay, what we need and what you can do to ease our pain and to prevent future pain is something. Eight out of ten Americans agree that a teenager shouldn't have an AR-15. So why does a teenager legally have an AR-15? Somewhere along the line, these guys forgot they work for us, not the NRA, us. And this time, we're not going to allow you to bow your head in prayer for two weeks until you get an all-clear and we move on to the next thing. We're going to make sure you do something this time. And if you agree with me, and maybe you don't, but if you do, here's one way you can help. Go to everytown.org. All the information you need is there, and you can write to your representatives and call them. And if they don't listen, vote them out of office. Whatever you do, do something. Because I, for one, am very, 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 very tired of this. It's entirely premature to be discussing about legislative solutions, if any. It's just not the time to dive into the politics and try to score political points. I think anybody who would politicize this shooting should be ashamed of themselves. This is not the time to have the discussion, and it's, uh, it's frankly, I think, insulting to the American public right now to try to politicize something. The reaction of Democrats to any tragedy is to try to politicize it. I'm more than happy to talk about this in a few days. Right now is not the time. There's a time and place for a political debate, uh, but now is the time to unite as a country. This isn't a guns situation. I mean, we could go into it, but it's a little bit soon to go into it. Yeah, no, it isn't. We'll be right back. I'm so tired of Jimmy Kimmel. I, I just don't know how to act. And, and if your comedy is a supposed comedian who used to have juggies jumping around on a fucking trampoline, and now he's the virtue signaler for you, breaking down a speech of the President of the United States and making quasi-jokes and dogging him, I would say that's not comedy. I would say that's political satire. And when is that cool? What has happened to you people? Deborah Messing, Americans care more about their guns than their children, was her virtue signal. Another guy tweeted uh, Pierce Morgan about the white nationalist thing, and everybody said... Uh, want to tell about Orlando and San Bernardino because his angle was, oh, this is just Trump's fault. Every network, as I said, jerked off to these white nationalists. It took, law enforcement now saying it hasn't found any ties between Parkland Shooter and white nationalist groups. Yeah. Totally broke down that this whole thing was a lie. Then it still took, uh, about 16 hours for the AP to retract it. They were the first one to run it. Shannon Watts, reminder, the first action Donald Trump took as a president was roll back a safety measure that prevented severely mentally ill Americans from buying a gun. She was not the first to start it. Every town was. Shannon Watts, uh, Chelsea Handler, Bent Midler. I have a whole list in a second because it's going to resurface. It went away and then it resurfaced. 
Bette Midler, blank you and your fuck you and your worthless thoughts and prayers, you and your obfuscating shill got what you wanted, money, while our kids get to die in school. That was the leader, McConnell. Then Chelsea Handler, imagine your child never coming home from school, then imagine having to tell the story to every new person you meet, then imagine having 18 school school shootings in two months. That's a fucking lie. Mm-hmm. People came on hers and literally said the GOP has a huge problem and blood on their hands. Will Wheaton, accessories to murder every last one of them. Chris Pronto came in. Have you ever stood with an M4 between evil protecting children from death or injury? I have. You need jerk idiots. Always blame the gun. It's a person holding it. Once you get that through your thick skulls, this will stop. Then Pierce Morgan took another track the left was hot on this week. Florida shooter was too young to buy a beer in Florida, but he was old enough to buy one of these and attack a school. That's a huge thing on the left. He went on a huge tirade and then ended with, come on, U.S. media, this is your moment. If you can't force through gun control laws and another Sandy Hook, then when can you? Pierce, they were already on at the moment the first shot rang. Where were you at? Alyssa Milano, NRA members, no more, not one more. We are screaming, no one's listening, children are dying. NRA members, please demand safety reform and sensible gun control. Put your foot down on this nightmare and never end. We need your help. Hold NRA leadership accountable because it's their fault people got shot. Dan Bondingo is the one I'll just let answer this. You're so unbelievably ignorant and uninformed. It's highly unlikely that you've taken the time to even attempt to understand why law-abiding American firearm owners are either law-abiding or firearm owners. You're not helping. Not one bit. Ben Rhodes, for a moment of levity. This was Obama's 2016 speech in Dallas, which is one of the best in which he worked on a lot. I don't think he ran out of words. I think he ran out of patience with Republicans in Washington. Nick Short sums it up. Speech? You mean the memorial service for five slain Dallas police officers where Obama defended Black Lives Matter? Do you remember that, folks? I do. (laughs) He hated the cops. That was the best speech. Yeah. That's, that's, that's where we were at for the Obama shills. Then there's a whole article that sums it up. Liz Winstead, a Daily Show co-host. We're all, we are all the anti-choice extremists who care so much about life but does nothing to challenge the NRA and the culture of death they fight so tirelessly to maintain. The deafening silence on gun violence is one more example of hypocrisy. You kill a million babies a year and you're talking about hypocrisy? Bette Miller for another one. NRA is a terrorist organization. How much do you pay to your congressional asswipes to keep your gun laws in place? Rosie O'Donnell. Shame on you, F. Stop NRA. Mark Hamill. Shame on you, shame on you. In reference to the news about NRA donations... To certain GOP members, we'll cover that in a second. Tyler Ferguson, Sally Fields, Jeff Lee Wright, Chelsea Handler, Leah Delari, all of them. And as stated, out comes every town with celebrities that are somehow, somehow going to make American gun owners who did not commit any crime, who secure their guns, secure their ammo, People like me, who just sports shoot with my AR. But even if it was for home defense, 
totally illegal. Bought it when I was in my 40s. They're going to make us put our guns down because they're celebrities or something. Columbine. Virginia Tech. Tucson. Aurora. Fort Hood. Oak Creek. Newtown. 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 How many more? How many more? How many more colleges? How many more classrooms? How many more movie theaters? How many more houses of faith? How many more shopping malls? How many more street corners? How many more? How many more? Enough. 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 Demand a plan. Right now. As a mom. As a dad. As a friend. As a husband. As a wife. As an American. As an American. As an American. As a human being. For the children of Sandy Hook. Demand a plan. No more lists of names. It's not too soon. It's too late. Now is the time. Before we all know someone who loved someone on that list. No more lists. No more. Who they might have been. No more. If we had just done something yesterday. It's time. We can do better than this. We can do better than this. It's time. It's time. It's time for our leaders to act. Demand a plan. Right now. Right now. You! Demand it! Enough. 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 Yeah, millionaires surrounded by guns are going to make me get rid of my AR. Yep. Put it up for sale right now on Craigslist. It's there. Washington Post finally crushes every town. No, there hasn't been 18 school shootings in 2018. That number is flat wrong. Every town has along inflated its total by including incidents of gunfire that are not really school shooting. They count people aren't there, after hours, anything around the school. This is from the article. The Everytown Gun Safety tweeted at 4.22 p.m. is the 18 school school shootings in U.S. in 2018. Senator Bernie Sanders' tweet included the claim that has been linked or liked more than 45,000 times. One from a political analyst, Jeff Greenfield, has cracked 116. New York Bill de Blasio tweeted, too, as did musician Cher, Alexander Williams, Misha Collins, and Albert Brooks. News organizations including MSNBC, ABC, NBC, CBS, Time, MSN, and BBC, the New York Daily News, and the Huffington Post also used the number in their coverage. By Wednesday night, the top suggested search for typing 18 in Google was 18 school shootings. It's a horrifying statistic, and it's wrong. When the Washington Post, who has done nothing but op-eds, take the guns, tells you you're lying, what does that say about them? Then in walks the Women's March. Enough is enough. We need tangible action. We need gun reform now. Women's March Youth Empower and Work with Partners announce a national mass school walkout. A bunch of people jump on this. It's a trend now. All these kids are going to walk out on 420. Does anybody get the date on that? That's like weed day. Okay. Woman puts baby up for adoption. He grows up to be a violent young man who will spend the rest of his life in prison for mass murder. Tell me more about how abortions are wrong. That's another hot take. Hoodie Rebecca. Then the clueless media. The Hill. Chris Cuomo named GOP lawmaker on air who's afraid to come CNN after shooting. What are they afraid of? 
If Cruz thinks gun control imp- improvement is not the answer, what is? Ask the question, Senator. Why are we, what are we going to do to stop school shootings? Don't just say what won't work, work to find an answer. Ted Cruz. That's funny. I spoke to CNN for 15 minutes yesterday after pro- proactive solutions to prevent gun violence, like passing the Grassley Cruz bill, which Dems filibustered, that would add 300 million for school safety. Yet CNN has aired none of it. Why not air the entire interview, Chris? This was all over the place. Everybody was tweeting it, unwilling to appear on CNN, but did what, what did interviews on Fox and Friends. What are they afraid of? Joe Scarborough, listen to these statistics. We Americans, 95% of Americans want stronger background checks. 75% want military-style weapons banned. 75% of Americans don't own a gun. 3% own half all the guns. All of those, false. 80% support strong bans on assault-style weapons. 90% support tougher background checks. So Jay Cost and many others decided to open up the American Almanac for voting records. Why, Joe NBC? It looks as though you voted to repeal the assault weapons ban in 1990. That can't be so, can it, Joe? You are just so filled with righteous indignation today that I assumed you were consistent on the issue. Toure, on this thread. Let's be clear, it's the Republican Party that's blocking us from changing our gun laws. Oh, okay. Okay. Then, the left was so upset, a a news agency, and I can't remember the first one, but everybody carried it. Here is Andrew Pollack yesterday showing a photo of his daughter Meadow at the time he was searching for her. Today he says, she's gone. Trump got nothing to do with his daughter, but the shirt make him look like he sold his soul to the devil. There are a hundred things. Well, this is karma. He voted for Trump. Trump pulled the trigger. Hundreds attacking a grieving father. The tolerant left. Stephanie Rule, knee-jerk reaction, Speaker Ryan. There have been 25 school shootings since Columbine, 18 this year. After poll shooting, nothing. Vegas, nothing. Congressional softball practice, nothing. This is after, we know that's a false stat, she's still pushing it because she's on MSDNC. Facts don't matter. CNN was still pushing it. Facts are not first. Liberal facts are first. Then the truth starts rolling in. We don't know that Cruz is mentally ill. He acted weird. He was depressed after the death of his mother. Under those criteria, we're all mentally ill. And we start finding out about this guy that everybody knew. Everybody said it. He had been on websites. FBI starts digging. These are all starting to come out. Doesn't stop Barack Obama from doing one. Doesn't start stop Nathan G. Let's rename schools as uterus so maybe Republican lawmakers will want to do something about the children dying inside them. Yeah, that was great. Milkshakes against the Republican Party takes it on in. Dear crazy shooters, GOP is frequent baseball practice. You really want to be remembered? That's how you do it. Sign, Americans tired of our politicians bathing in the blood of innocent for a few million dollars than terrorist organization NRA. They show a picture of grieving parents. 
You remember the shooting of the Republican baseball game? One of those should happen every week until the NRA-funded sons of bitches do something about this. Yeah, outright calling for murder. It's okay. They're Democrats. Sarah Sanders talks about a football coach who sacrificed his life. They attack him. Chris Mahoney, if I paid for a promoted tweet poll targeting followers of NRA, the Loches, etc., that asked how many children they would personally kill to keep their guns, how long do you think until it got taken down? People ask, what's wrong with you, Chris Loesch? The better question is, how many children's death will you applaud to push your idiotic gun control agenda? They want more. John Cusack, mega equals death cult, blames Trump, calls him Jim Jones. Next tweet, there's no bottom, GOP is death cult, Trump, a Nazi traitor's disgrace, Paul Ryan traitor, and the rest are cannibals feeding our children to the NRA. The only thing generals could do is refuse and resign. Stephen Miller preferenced, media are going to put out stories about Trump overturning an Obama-era ruling regarding mentally ill and guns with wink, wink. What they aren't going to do is link it to Parkland. They're literally throwing out a shiny object. That's why they are tuned out. Here it comes. Vox, Ezra Klein. He was answered, and he doubled down on it. Soledad O'Brien, Cecile Vega, Ruben, Ashley Angapa, Kyle Griffin, MTP, CNN, Jake Tapper, all the networks, CNN multiple times, all wrong. All wrong. Then more truth comes out. I, I spliced it in here. Suspected gunman in Florida school shooting identified member of resistance groups, report says, nobody covered it. Ran with the white nationalists, ignored this. CNN then puts out some more bogus shit. You don't need a permit or license to buy a gun in Florida, and you don't have to register your gun either. In Florida, you don't need a permit to conceal carry a rifle or shotgun, although you do need it to conceal carry a handgun. You can buy as many guns as you want at one time because Florida doesn't regulate it either. Stephen Miller. Why don't people take our pleas on gun control seriously? CNN asked while attempting to shove a shotgun down its pants. How do you conceal a shotgun, you morons? That's a millennial intern. Doesn't know anything about guns. Leela Rose brings down some truth. The senators who vote against protecting children after 20 weeks are fully developed and can feel pain need to see this baby. This is a little girl who was born at 21 weeks and is considered the most premature baby to survive. Yet, they want us to go give up guns. Britt Hume, someday we'll hang our heads at the slaughter of human life we have permitted in the name of woman's health. Britt Hume again. There's a big difference. Gun murders are illegal. Killing by abortion is legal. And since 1973, an estimated 60 million such deaths have occurred. Dwarfing U.S. firearms. More truth comes out. Deputies called to suspect shooter home 39 times over 7 years. More truth comes out. The fucking shooter was identified to the FBI numerous times, including him saying he's going to shoot in school. He's going to shoot up a school on YouTube. They ignored it. More likely, were too busy chasing after Russian bots that the Democrats put them on, which we're going to show is pretty much resolved now, and it was what we said it was. 
Then the New York Daily News brings out what the left was really looking for. The Florida shooting suspect was an NRA-funded school rifle team. Stephen Miller, the club was an air rifle team and was hosted by ROTC. Amazing smear considering ROTC students helped eat other students out of the school. Think progress. The NRA donated 10000 to help train the Parkland shooting suspect to use a rifle. A tweeter. What this shameless clickbait headline doesn't mention is the NRA donation went to the U.S. Army ROTC program. National. And what this article doesn't mention, mention is during the shooting, young ROTC num- members used the ROTC Kevlar sheets to protect a group of 60 students. There's a feature I'm going to do next podcast. One of them protected somebody and gave up their life. He was in ROTC. Jeff B., they're referring to Junior Razzi, which we all know is true source of evil in modern America. And oh, by the way, here's how those Junior Razzi kids actually acquitted themselves on that dreadful day. One of them sacrificed his life. 15-year-old freshman was holding a door to let other students out before him as a suspected shooter crews prowled the halls. Wang was among 17 people shot and killed. We have a good feature next podcast. Dana Loesch, the funding was to ROTC. The same ROTC students used Kevlar pad. Everybody refuted it. Guess what? Nobody cared. So it's starting to break down, but they still got to stay on it. Olivia Nuzzi sums up the left. Imagine the reaction if any president handed a national, handled a national tragedy in the manner Trump has and retreated back to his private club where the scene included this. Partying. Everybody in the world. Imagine the reaction of any other president handled a terrorist attack on the U.S. Embassy in Libya that left four Americans dead by jetting off to Las Vegas for a campaign swing that included a fundraiser with Chris Dahl, Jay-Z, and Beyonce. <clears throat> Obama campaign, Vegas fundraiser on a day after Benghazi massacre was appropriate. Neon taser, Obama went golfing after his remarks on James Foley beheading. Doesn't make things right, but Trump is nowhere near as evil as you're making him. So bad, Obama admits golf after Foley beheading was a bad idea. Another one. Obama dances while Brussels burns. President Michelle take the floor to tango during glitzy state dinner in Buenos Aires as he ignores calls to come home in wake of terror attack. Yeah. So, by the end of the week, we've attacked race, the NRA, Trump himself, lied about everything we could possibly lie about. But there were still some people that got some blows. I want to feature Rich Lowry on CNN. Listen to this. Well, I I think you're looking at this totally from the wrong perspective. Let's take Paul Ryan, for instance. I'm sure, I'm almost certain he was pro-gun rights even, even before he thought about running for Congress. So the idea that all these Republicans are secret gun controllers and just have been bought off 
to go out and lie and pretend they're in favor of gun rights is not true. This is a serious Where the, Where's the evidence? Conviction. I never said that. To I don't think well, so Paul, was you're suggesting that. you're suggesting that Paul I'm Ryan not because anything, of the I'm money. Just reading the facts. Okay, so so the contributions have nothing to do with Paul Ryan's conviction on guns. We agree on that. Uh, no, we don't agree. On okay, that. that's the point I'm making. I'm but I'm sure not saying was, that you're saying sure that there's secret pro- gun controllers. No, no. I never intimated that. Yeah, you're saying they're bought off. So if you're, if they're, what are they being bought off to? Are they being I'm bought off to a, a position they don't agree do with? Is that what you're that, suggesting? Do you think that? Do you think that they're not influenced by the money? Are you no, influenced by money? Paul Ryan, do you know where you, you know where your bread let's is talk butter? About Paul Ryan. You think he's a secret gun control? He's always no, been a favorite no gun control. No, he's saying that. Why are you creating a straw person? No, okay, that's why, not so what either of us would say. How's the money relevant? The money is relevant because they have an alliance. The money is relevant. The money's getting elected. The AR-15 is the most popular rifle in the country at the moment. What does that mean? That is a problem. Millions of people own it, and they don't go out and shoot up schools. Every one of those gun control measures that you mentioned, universal background checks, cause, a cosmetic ban on certain stylistic weapons, would do nothing to stop the sort well, of killing. That's know that true. unless you try it, Rich. That's how do you know it? Okay, Virginia Tech. How do you know that? And we're not, we're not changing the culture. What weapon was used? Hold on. Dianne Feinstein proposed that people who were on the terror watch list were not able to buy guns. Republicans cannot even come to a consensus on that. How does that make sense? Because the terror watch list is a mess. Everyone acknowledges that. If well, you then clean, clean it, up, it up. There is a fine. Let's clean so it up, what, and then so we can have the conversation. And do that as but well. The, the and fundamental fact, Don, is so you're saying, a second so you're saying that people country. who are on the terror watch list, in the interim, while you're cleaning it up, they should be allowed to have guns. But, guns, but, but none of the shooters are guns. on the terror watch list. So okay, again, you're talking about something that has no interaction with these actual crimes. We That's care the whole more. We care more about guns than we do children, and it's disgusting. Disgusting, and we need to change the culture that that uh, enshrines guns as a kind of manhood. We were, we are not entitled to AR-15s. We are entitled to own guns. We are not entitled to own weapons of mass destruction. You brought the receipts. All these guys, yes, they've been bought and paid for. They may now have come around to agree. They're not secret gun but controllers. Now, now you're they have. Yourself. You're they saying have, they've been bought off. So they must not agree they with are this kept. position. I put the information out there. Did right. you hear what I said? Yeah. Facts first. Right. These are the facts. But what, what, you make up there, your mind. Are, okay. So I'll, if, you can, if you think that getting but what, thousands of dollars, even millions of dollars, doesn't influence someone, then you're sadly mistaken. Come on. So, there so is you're an saying alliance. they sincerely there is believe there are all sorts of gun control measures that automatically make you shoot No, 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 no. no. I it's a cosmetic definition. Semi-auto- There's debate we about that. That is not true. The huge amount of guns in this country that. are semiotic automatic weapons. That's a basic technology. If you want to ban all semi-automatic weapons, that's an enormous prohibition. To have it make any difference, you probably have to go and confiscate them. That is, them. again, you an can extreme. Have an enormous that's not what anyone is saying. Problem. No one is saying well, ban see, all semi-automatic No, that's no one. No, that's not my contradiction. contradiction. I said to have a conversation to talk about it and to actually do something about it. I gave you facts about what most Americans want. Most Americans want a ban on semi-automatic weapons. Most Americans want a ban on assault weapons. Just Polling doesn't see. There's no magic. See, Don Lemon hasn't got the talking points memo. Yeah, they are asking for bans. They want to ban everything. Feinstein alone has offered to change the age of being able to buy a rifle. That's just the first of many to come. California has already got ammunition bans. By the time this is done, just like abortion, because there's no way to compromise up there with Democrats. 
Remember, we covered all the state laws that have gone into effect because they can't get a ban on 20-week abortion that 64% of America is for. All these liberal states, you're not going to be able to have a gun. So if you're driving to New York, it's bad now. Just get rid of your gun. And then these are long sound bites, but I played long with the gun grabbers. Here's Ben Shapiro pretty much summing up the left and Tucker. So as I said, the media response to the shooting has been filled with with lies and untruths and half-truths. And what it really is about is folks in the media demonstrating how much they care. This has become the game. And it's it's not a game in the sense, it, it, none of this is really a game. But this has become what the, the media do. What the media do in the aftermath of a shooting is they demonstrate how deeply they care. All the late-night hosts go out there and talk about gun control, even though uh, a, a simple a simple note of sympathy would suffice. They decide that they become experts on gun control. Members of the media uh, go out there and talk about how, how much they care because in American society, for some odd reason, we have decided that we can judge whether you are making a quality proposal by the level of how much you care. This is stupid politics. The level of how much you care has nothing to do with the decency, strength, or truth of a proposal that you are making. But nonetheless, these emotional pleas continue from the media. Uh, there's a commentator named Kavanaugh on NBC saying that the argument against gun control is legitimately over. There is no more argument against gun control because of the shooting. The argument that gun safety laws uh, don't work has, it, I mean, it's it's jumped shark week. It, it's gone. Yeah. Look at these mass killings. That argument is gone. We, we need to have reasonable laws, not take away anybody's rights. Everybody's got to work together. Are we making the Second Amendment a suicide pact for all of us, our children, the mall, the school, the, the, the college. This is crazy, and we can do better. Okay, that is ATF Special Agent Jim Cavanaugh, law enforcement analyst. Solid law enforcement analysis there. Reasonable gun laws that don't violate anyone's rights. Why, that sounds just magical. Now, what the hell are you talking about? Like, really, make a proposal. Put it on the table. Let's discuss it. But don't give me the reasonable gun laws, and then don't actually propose a gun law. Right? You can't do that. That's not fair, it's not right, and it's not true. It's just foolishness. And more than more than anything else, it's designed to put people who are in favor of gun rights on the defensive. Oh, well, you're unreasonable. See, if you if you disagree with Jim Kavanaugh that there is a case against gun control, then that means that you're unreasonable. It means that you don't care. It means that you're a bad person. This is what I said to Piers Morgan years ago after the Sandy Hook shooting, that he stand on the graves of the kids of Sandy Hook in order to promote his political agenda. Unfortunately, members of the media still play this game. If you cannot assume good intentions on the part of your political opponent, you're never going to be able to make a deal. You're certainly not going to be able to come to any sort of conclusion. It wasn't just Kavanaugh. Don Lemon on CNN made an emotional plea for gun control after the school shooting. So just forget politics here. This is about lives, the lives of all Americans. We need to keep guns out of the hands of dangerous people. Everyone agrees with that. People who oppose gun control will say today is not the day to talk about it. And you know what? They are absolutely right. Because the day to talk about it was weeks, months, years, or decades ago. And yes, of course, we also need to make mental health a priority in this country. But guess what? We can do both. We can do both of those things at the same time. If we don't, we have no one to blame but ourselves. This is America, people. Don't forget that. Okay, yeah, I got this is America. I mean, I like Don, but, but I mean, come on, come on. Yes, this is America. Guess what's in our Constitution? A Second Amendment. That's part of America. And this idea that we're, we're all sitting around wailing and gnashing our teeth uh, over over stuff that, that over meaningless slogans. 
The, the, the stuff should have been done years ago. Make your case. Make your proposal. I don't understand. Do you have a secret proposal? Is it like Trump's, is it like Trump's foreign policy on ISIS that he wasn't going to reveal during the campaign or, or Dick Nixon's proposal on how to end the Vietnam War in five minutes? Like, what's your proposal? We've been around. I'm waiting. Put it on the table. Let's talk about it. But we're not getting any of that. Instead, we get the, we cannot accept this. Right? America's better than this. Whenever people say things like America's better than this, it's so irritating because the suggestion is if I disagree with your general proposition on policy, then that means I don't think America's better than this. I think America's worse than this. I think people deserve to be shot. He wasn't even the worst person on CNN last night. That was Philip Mudd. Philip Mudd uh, is the national security analyst, counterterrorism analyst over at CNN. Uh, he teared up and then he started talking about we cannot accept this. I have 10 nieces and nephews. We're talking about bump stocks. We're talking about legislation. A child of God is dead. Cannot we acknowledge in this country that we can't, we cannot accept this? I can't do it, Wolf. I'm sorry. We can't do it. Yeah. Okay. Do you think we all don't feel like that? You think we all don't feel like that? We cannot accept this is such an obnoxious statement. Of course we can't accept this. Who are you implying can accept this? Are you implying that a bunch of us who own guns accept this? We're the ones who want to stand out there and shoot this bastard before he enters the school. Are you suggesting that those of us who think the best solution to this would be armed security are accepting this? On the contrary. Okay, I went to a Jewish day school here in Los Angeles for high school. It's a high school called Yeshiva University of Los Angeles or Yeshiva of Los Angeles. It changed its name a couple of times. It's right next to the Simon Wiesenthal Center. Every month, probably once a month, we had to evacuate the school because of a bomb threat. Because it's a Jewish school and that means there are anti-Semitic bomb threats on a pretty regular basis. While I was there, there was a guy named Buford Furrow. Okay, Buford Furrow was a, was a, an actual white supremacist terrorist. Okay, I graduated from EULA in 2000. Uh, he, in 1999, shot up a Jewish community center in the West Valley here in Los Angeles. And before he did that, he drove past our high school. He drove to the high school. He stopped at the Simon Wiesenthal Center. He thought about going in, and he saw security guards. He wrongly assumed they were armed. They were not armed. But he wrongly assumed that they were armed security guards. And he thought to himself, okay, I can either walk in here and get my ass shot, or I can go to a place where there will be no security, like the JCC, and then I can shoot up as many people as I want. He ended up killing several people. Um, and uh, it is, it, it, and the, the point of the story is that security at schools matters. Uh, for, for the left, which which has constantly suggested that government stimulus would be had by creation of government jobs. How about this? How about the government, local government, state government, how about they pay for security at their schools? How about we make sure that there are armed guards, several armed guards on every school campus? This is not too much to ask. We have armed security guards at malls, for goodness sake. Why shouldn't we have them at schools where we have a bunch of sitting duck students? The most valuable commodity our, our society has, kids, and they're utterly unprotected. And you stick a gun-free sticker up there and you think that's going to somehow dissuade people from walking on campus with a gun? I don't understand why this is even mildly unreasonable. Why, wh how is it unreasonable to suggest that maybe we ought to have armed people who are qualified with a gun standing there to make sure that other armed people can't walk in the school? This guy walked in there with a full-on rifle. He wasn't concealing it. He was banned from campus. And when people say, well, you can't do identity checks at the door in school, why the hell not? Why can't you do identity checks in school? We had one in my high school. This idea that, oh, you're militarizing the school. You know what? The, the security at my daughter's preschool is really good. Militarizing schools. You know what militarizes a school? Somebody walking in with a gun and murdering students. That militarizes the school. You know what doesn't militarize the school? Having a security guard that everybody knows their name and they're friends with, who knows how to use a gun and is capable of doing that in case a bad person walks on campus with a gun. This notion that you're going to protect students 
by doing none of that. They're fragile psyches. Let me let me tell you something. What's more fragile than a student's psyche? Their body. This idea that that students are so fragile psychically that if they see a man with a gun in a uniform, if they see cops on campus, or if they see a security guard on campus with a gun, not a security monitor with a stupid radio, an actual gun, if they see that person, this is going to disturb them. It's going to make them unable to function in a normal society. What kind of stupid crap is this? What absolute utter nonsense? Even when I went to middle school, there were, there were security guards with guns. In Israel, every school has a security guard with a gun or multiple. Are the kids from Israel somehow really screwed up because they saw a gun? Only people who are idiots think that the mere sight of a gun traumatizes a child so much that they'll never recover. You know what traumatizes a child? Being shot. You know what traumatizes a child? Seeing their classmates shot. You know what traumatizes a, sh- a child? Hiding in a closet, texting their parents that they might be about to die because there was no one on campus with a gun to stop a bad man who walks onto campus with a gun. So listen, I'm happy to look at gun control proposals if they are actually specific so we can determine what is true and what is not. What I am not willing to do is entertain the idea that if you just say gun control, I'm supposed to bow to whatever you fill in that blank check with. And meanwhile, I'm supposed to pretend that it's not idiocy not to have armed security guards on campus. Just stupidity. Now, I thought there was something else interesting that was tweeted out yesterday. Michael Ian Black, who's a comedian, uh, he tweeted something out about how uh, there is something deeper than the gun problem happening in the United States. I think he's half right and half wrong. Here's what he tweeted. Quote, deeper even than the gun problem is this. Boys are broken. Until we fix men, we need to fix the gun problem. The last 50 years redefined womanhood. Women were taught they can be anything. No commensurate movement for men who are still generally locked into the same rigid, outdated model of masculinity, and it's killing us. If you want to hurt a man, the first thing you do is attack his masculinity. Men don't have the language to understand masculinity as anything other than some version of a caveman because no language exists. The language of masculinity is hopelessly entwined with sexuality, and the language of sexuality is hopelessly entwined with power, agency, and self-worth. So men, and boys before that, don't have language for modes of expression that don't readily conform to traditional standards. To step outside those norms is to take a risk most of us are afraid to take. As a result, a lot of guys spend their lives terrified. We're terrified as being viewed as something other than men. We know ourselves to be men, but we don't know how to be our whole selves. A lot of us, me included, either shut off or experience deep shame or rage, or all three. Again, men are terrified. Even talking about this topic invites ridicule because it's so scary for most men and women. Men are adrift, and nobody is talking about it, and nobody's doing anything about it, and it's killing us. I think that he has a point that boys are broken. I think that's true. But his suggestion that what is happening here is basically that men have been told that they ought to act like men, that this is corrupted manhood, is nonsense. If there was a collapse in manhood over the last 50 years, you have to ask what changed. What changed in the model of manhood was the definition of manhood. Manhood used to be about being a protector. I don't have to read you the sheepdog speech here from American Sniper, but that's what being a man was about. That being a man, I will, I will say the main message. The main message, if you haven't seen American Sniper, a very famous speech by one of the characters, the main message is that men can either be wolves or sheep or sheepdogs. They can either be victimizers or they can be the victimized or they can be the sheepdogs who ensure that the wolves are kept at bay. The job of men was to protect innocence. That was the number one job of men. Not job number two, not job number ten. Getting laid was not high on the list. Playing video games was not high on the list. Protecting women and children was number one on the list. It's why when the Titanic went down, the idea was women and children first. That was a good thing. Men are supposed to protect. That is a man's job. And, and, and I'm not talking about shortcomings in some of the men at the school because that was not happening, okay? There were real men at the school. The real one was a football coach who was murdered yesterday. Coach Aaron Feist was initially said to be dead. Then he was thought to be alive. He passed away this morning. Apparently, 
Uh, he jumped in front of the bullets in order to stop students from being shot. It's it's really, really sad. He worked as a security guard at the school for at least eight years. Uh, and apparently he was uh, when when the shooting broke out, uh, he jumped in front of the students and, and was murdered. Hey, there are men who are willing to be protectors. But the question is not about those men. The question is about people who become shooters. Boys, particularly, are either they either create or they destroy. This is true from the time they're children. They're either, they're either building blocks or they're knocking the blocks down. This is what boys do. That means that boys have to be trained from a very young age to build and not to destroy. They've been, they have to be told not only not to destroy, but that it is their job to build. And the way that you build a society, the way you build a community, the way that you build a safe world is with men who protect human beings from other bad human beings. Make men into heroes. Don't make them into, into feminized versions of what you wish men were. Okay, you can't get rid of manhood. You can't get rid of masculinity, nor would you want to. A society without masculinity is a society that's bound to the, to the eventual degradation of civilization. What you actually want here is a manhood, a proud manhood that stands up for women and children, that turns men into heroes, that makes men aspire to be heroes, that doesn't abandon boys and tell them they're wrong for feeling that aggressive impulse. Men are aggressive. It's what they do. Channel that aggression towards something good, and you get great civilizations. Channel that aggression towards something evil, you get evil civilizations. But it must be channeled. It's something we ought to keep in mind as we move forward in these discussions, that something is happening on a societal level that is really negative and really nasty, and it goes deeper than the kind of weapons that are available on the market. A decent person is horrified by what happened yesterday in Parkland. Every thoughtful person knows something horrible is going on in American society. Tragedies like this happen for a reason, and it probably doesn't have a lot to do with guns. The percentage of American households with firearms has dropped dramatically over the past 35 years. Meanwhile, the number of mass shootings has risen. If you're over 40, you did not grow up in a country like this. So the question is, what happened? It could be a lot of things. Far more Americans than ever before take psychiatric medications. Are outbursts of violence a potential side effect? We don't know, but it's possible. Does the social atomization of modern society play a role in all this? Well, spending life online does cause alienation. We know that. Last week, we interviewed author Johan Hari, who has studied the dramatic rise of depression in this country. As he pointed out, the most common answer to the question, how many close friends do you have, is now zero. A lack of meaningful relationships does cause despair. Perhaps in rare cases, it drives some to mass murder. Meanwhile, the nuclear family has collapsed nationwide. Does a generation of boys growing up without fathers pose a threat to this country? Of course it does. Why wouldn't it? Fatherlessness is one feature common to many mass shooters. Nobody's surprised by that. And what about men more broadly? As a group, men are not thriving in this country right now. Ignore the propaganda, and there's a lot of it. And instead, look at the numbers. Men kill themselves more, graduate less, and of course commit pretty much 100% of mass shootings. It's a disaster, which for some reason our elites persist in ignoring. In March, this show will begin a month-long series every Wednesday on what is happening to men. We hope it will be interesting. But why haven't we been talking about this for years? And we're not saying any of these factors caused the massacre we saw yesterday. We don't know that. We are saying we ought to do our honest best as a nation to figure out what exactly is going on here. But we're not doing that. That vital conversation has been drowned out and made impossible by mindless screeching about gun control led by blustery charlatans in the media, you know exactly who they are, and also in Congress, whose only real agenda is moral preening. 
They aren't trying to solve the problem. Their aims are darker than that. Press a little bit and you'll see it. Sensible gun reforms. You hear that phrase a lot. You heard it all day today on cable news. What exactly does that mean, sensible gun reforms? Banning bump stocks? No. A piece on Vox.com today calls for a landmark gun control bill like the one Australia passed 22 years ago in 1996. That's the law that liberals are always telling you about. But the Australian law wasn't gun control, and it wasn't a voluntary buyback, no matter what they tell you. It was gun confiscation, a wholesale mandatory disarmament of the entire civilian population. Imagine what would happen if you tried that here in this country. America is not Australia for a bunch of reasons, including our history and our Bill of Rights. Imagine federal officials marching from house to house, seizing hundreds of millions of firearms from law-abiding citizens, and then fining and imprisoning those who resist. Vox approvingly calls this leadership. In fact, it's a recipe for bloodshed and civil war. It's nuts. Yet it is a common fantasy on the left. Dan Pfeiffer was a senior advisor to Barack Obama. Now he's a contributor at CNN, of course. Last fall, Pfeiffer wrote an article attacking his fellow Democrats for what he bluntly called fake moderation on guns. His advice was this, stop pretending to respect the Constitution and instead focusing on appointing judges who will nullify it. The goal? Gun seizures, ammunition regulation, the disarmament of the American population, a country where only the people in charge have guns and everybody else obeys. In the wake of yesterday's shooting, Pfeiffer's piece is going viral on the left. What he wrote is what they believe. So let's stop lying about this. The calls you're hearing today for gun control have nothing to do with protecting Americans from violence. What you're witnessing is a kind of class war. The left hates rural America, red America, gun-oting America, the America that elected Donald Trump. They hate them. Progressives are still in charge of most of the major institutions in this country, and they despise the autonomy of an armed population. They want collective punishment for the sins of a few. They seek to obliterate a core constitutional right rather than trying to mitigate its downsides. They call it gun control, but it's not. It's people control. For the left, voters who can't be controlled can't be trusted. I like both those sound bites because it's based on reality of what's going on right now. The reality of what's going on. So we're going to go to a music break and then we're going to come back and finish up our fire for effect because with the sound bites, it's pretty long. When we come back on the other side, we're going to hit DACA because a lot of people got their butts just in a pinch for something Obama did all the time.
category, Josh Whedon, the horribly intolerant lefty, ICE is, is Trump's SS. They are the shame of our nation. I know there's lots. I picked one. How do we stop them? How do we protect our people? Well, the problem is they're not our people. And this was in reference to ICE going through Los Angeles and arresting 2012 illegal targeting 122 businesses in L.A. sweep because L.A. refuses to abide by law. And there you go. There you go. How are they our people? Then we get into our Russia, Russia, Russia. I'm going to start with some tweets. Wrong. The election was obviously invalid, and everything the Russians did should disqualify the invalid results. Americans deserve a new election. Everyone who retweets this agrees. That was Scott Dworkin. Neon Taser. Everyone in quote tweets this thinks you talk to your toaster. Michael Goodwin. Russian indictment proves Trump won fair and square. And why was that? Because Mueller 
did what we said he was going to do. He indicts 13 Russians accused of election meddling. Russians. Sarah Westward, something you're not going to hear on your media. Interesting. Mueller investigation finds Russians also organized against Trump. Which of these rallies did you attend again, Alyssa Milano? Because it was at rallies. Ben Rhodes, every piece of information that's filled in thus far by Mueller confirms a greater scale of Russian interference, more contact with the Trump campaign, and further reach. Somebody said, Ben, the 80s are calling, because that's not what it said. Obama's Secretary of State approved the 13 to come in our country under travel visas. Nobody's talking to him. David Axelrod breaking it down. No conservative. Jill Stein received 50,700 votes in Michigan. Trump won less by 12. She outpolled Trump margin in Wisconsin as well. If Russians sought to redirect to alienate HRC voters to third parties, as indictment alleges, it was a shrewd ploy. Steven Cortez gives a smart-ass tweet back to him. Well, maybe the Russians stopped her from actually going there and doing rallies. But the media doesn't want this. Oh, no, 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 we can't admit it. Watergate reporter on CNN, Carl Burstein. We are seeing evidence of a conspiracy who was winning, unwitting. Is that conspiracy? We don't know yet, but Mueller's indictment are pointing in a certain direction. We still need this. But the problem is that it breaks down. Unwittingly helping somebody isn't against the law. It's not against the law to do that. By the end, as this is starting to seek in, VP of Marketing for Facebook, very excited to see the Mueller Diamond today. We shared Russian ads with Congress, Mueller and the American people to help the public understand how Russia abused our system. Still, there are keys facts about the Russian action that are still not well understood. Most of the coverage of Russian meddling involves their attempt to affect the outcome. I have seen all of the Russian ads, and I can say very definitively that swaying the election was not the main goal. Most of it was after the election. We shared that fact, but very few outlets have covered it because it doesn't align with the media narrative of Trump and the election. The main goal of the Russian propaganda misinformation effort is to divide America by using our institutions like free speech and social media against us. It was stoked fears and hatred amongst Americans. It is working incredibly well. We are quite divided as a nation. And that was covered nowhere. This is the guy that's seen it. What did our media cover instead? Andrew Mitchell. Good, maybe Ryan can explain to him the reality of the Mueller Russia indictments. Francis Armar, you mean the reality that toothless indictment was filed against 13 Russians, not Americans, and the investigators that you think are going to deliver a smoking gun about Trump clearly said that no Americans were involved and it played no part in the election? They, they, they didn't want it. They just didn't want it. They ignored it. Then came Obama's portrait on the route Barack and Michelle's Obama presidential portrait target of racist attacks. While most of America was captivated by the former President Barack Obama and Michelle Obama's recently unveiled presidential portraits of the National Gallery, some right-wing and racist online years have used as an opportunity to spread hate. Okay, let, let's just break it down. There was no captivation. This is the most hideous shit you've ever seen. 
all these presidents in a library in the Oval Office. Something presidential. Mr. I like myself did it in front of a fucking bunch of kudzu. The article continues. You don't have to search far before coming across racist and misogynistic attacks aimed at the Obamas on Twitter, with some comparing the political couple to monkey, no surprise there, among other racist undertones. And one Photoshop version of Barack Obama's portrait, a user claims to have fixed it by portraying the former president behind bars. Another manipulated Michelle Obama's face so it's not flattering ways. Others so grotesque is almost disbelieving. If you can stomach the racist serving, see below. Other than the monkey, none of these were racist. They were just doing what everybody else was doing on Twitter. Simultaneously, HuffPo rushed out the 10 worst moments of disrespect towards President Trump. I, I just want to cover this. Birther. Yeah, that's bad. You lie. Inappropriate. Signs of the Tea Party and naked racism. One guy. Donald uncheck ego inflates Bertha Friasco. Inappropriate. Deadbeat dad and probable one-termer thinks his presence before the president actually matters and needs to tell everyone. Joe the plumber. New Gingrich Kenyan anti-colonialist behavior comment. Not racist. One of the underlying premises of disrespect towards the president is that he can be ordered around and dictated to like his TP, the laundry boy. You've been doing that with Bush and Trump and Reagan and everybody, but okay. Jan Brewer pointing a finger at him. GOP House, prompted by Tea Party, refused to raise the debt ceiling. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell public announces his top political priority is to not let him get reelected, and Boehner refuses speech date request. That's your 10. My friends, that's your 10. Nobody, and I mean nobody, as we'll go into our tweet of the day is all about this. Like this photo. Nobody. But it's inappropriate to talk bad about the president's photo, which looked horrible. That's okay. 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 And then to the 10 disrespect. If Trump just got that, that would be normal Washington. Look at everything that's said about Trump. Every media attack. All these protests. Horrible things are said by big people every day. And you're whimpering because people politically try to block a president of another party? Isn't that just normal? So then we get into the money shot before we finish Five for Effect and go in tweets in the day without a bumper. It's a late entry. But this is something you've heard a lot on. A lot. On your TV. Lots of lawmakers tweet uh, their thoughts and, and prayers are with the victims of any given shooting. Uh, lots of lawmakers that tweet those things are also being supported and getting a lot of big money from the NRA, from the gun lobby. Marco Rubio is one of them. Florida senator called it a terrible day. You pray never comes. His campaign benefited from 3.3 million in funding and opposition attacks thanks to the NRA. 
I was with the president when he visited the NRA and spoke at their convention uh, in 2016. And the images around it were all very, very scary, Senator. That, that people are coming to get you. You need to protect yourself. America is a dangerous place. Uh, and the government, if you allow Democrats to be in power, want to take your guns away. How do you combat that sort of that sort of apocalyptic messaging? As is the case with most tragedies, we're hearing from lawmakers, and this one is no different. Louisiana Republican Senator Bill Cassidy tweeted his sympathy and prayers, saying his heart goes out to the victims and their families. But for fact's sake, according to the nonpartisan Center for Responsive Politics, the NRA spent more than $2.8 million on Cassidy throughout his career. That includes campaign funding and ads attacking opponents. Ohio Republican Senator Rob Portman tweeted... Vice President Mike Pence tweeted about heartache and prayers in the wake of the shooting. He has an A-plus rating with the NRA and enacted a number of laws as governor of Indiana, including legislation allowing firearms to be kept in vehicles on school property. President Trump tweeted his prayers. The thoughts and prayers are with the victims. The dollars and cents are another story. The last thing before we go here tonight brings us back around to this Florida tragedy. As so many people before us have said, this phrase, thoughts and prayers, even if said in all sincerity, is falling short as a comfort mechanism after these repeated mass shootings, these mass casualty events. So many of the sentiments posted on social media by our elected officials now read differently in light of the facts provided that we're about to share with you by the nonpartisan Center for Responsive Politics and put together by our morning team on the broadcast Velshi and rule. Now, for example, Louisiana Republican Senator Bill Cassidy tweeted his sympathy and prayers saying his heart goes out to the victims in Florida and their families. The NRA spent $2.8 million over his political career, including attack ads against his opponents. Ohio Republican Bob Portman, the NRA, we should point out, spent over $21 million supporting Donald Trump in the 2016 election. Almost 10 million on ads and other pro-Trump material, and 12 million attacking Hillary Clinton. So you see the distinction there between thoughts and prayers and campaign donations and attack ads. All right, as I said, late entry, this all came up, and I have to tell you right now, NRA money total, total, 2016, $1,085,000. In just two months, PPFA has given 663000 to the House, okay? They have given 28703 to the Senate. I'm fucking this all up. No, that's PPFA in the money. That's all right. And it said it was 144,450. When you add up everything for the abortion injury industry just for 2016, knowing that the NRA gave 1,085,000, PPFA and the abortion industry that I can track is over 1.5 million. Ben Shapiro went a total different route. Totally different. And I want you to hear this number. 
Between 98 and 2017, the NRA spent $200 million in political activities. You're like, oh my God, that's insane. Unions, just unions, spent $1.7 billion in 2016 alone. So as I always argue on the internet about how PPFA owns Democrats and that every cycle they outspend the NRA, a more political guy than me, more, I guess definitely more smarter, my arguments had always been just unions. Just unions. So to our tweet of the day, tweets of the day, excuse me. Justice Clarence Thomas says he's worn down by victimhood culture. I agree with him. Jennifer Lawrence said, I could play Senator Warren as Pocahontas. She was being interviewed for a movie, and once again, she decides she doesn't want that movie to be popular, so she's going to dog Trump again. Okay. Stephen Gutowski attacks where the FBI was informed of significant warning signs beforehand. Parkland, Charleston, Pulse Nighthunt Club, Fort Hood. Let that sit. He linked it to an article, FBI admits it failed to follow protocol when tipped off to Florida shooting in January. These are my tweets of the day, but understand, that wasn't retweeted a lot, because the left doesn't want facts. But, if we're going to have a tweet of the day and have some fun in this show, okay, here are the top ten tweets on why you don't want to live in California. Number one. For starters, we don't trust people that try to avoid a traffic jam and end up stuck in a sand dune. Slew of cars trying to bypass a horrible traffic on the 10 freeway, which is horrible, ended up in the sand. Number two, the straw thing in Malibu, where they're going to ban straws. Three, abortion policies North Korea would be proud of. Although I refused to consent to an abortion, she scheduled me for an abortion. When I refused to go and she had two men come to my house, pod, trying to forcibly take me. Nine women describe horrific treatment at the hands of their jailers. Hmm. Four, California moves to force public universities to administer abortion pills. Five, you can sue if you see Bigfoot, but nobody believes you. Woman claims to see Bigfoot, sues California to prove it. Six, politicians like Gavin Newsom say things like California is both America's rich state and porous. Seven, those same politicians embrace high-speed rail instead of water desalination. 840 miles of coastline, there's not enough water, only with progressive government. Instead, 65 billion bullet train to nowhere build 150 million desalinization plants. Mexico City has better earthquake warning system than California. It was eight, nine, the 20-pound rodents we talked about, and 10. Skier lost in New York had no idea how he ended up in California. Yeah. Yeah. Door hypocrisy. Chris Saliza, 35%... Of Trump's White House staff left in the first year of his presidency. He shows a picture. The problem is, some of the people pictured never worked in the White House. They finally deleted it after the entire world said, hey, it's a lie. Brian Seltzer. Oprah wants to seriously tamp down the reason of speculation of 2020. At the same time, her confidence says she hasn't entirely ruled it out. That man is still pushing that. 
Washington Post. Mike Pence bought a Valentine's Day gift for his wife at CVS. They actually are following him. Somebody said, democracy dies in the darkness. This is the article. Heil, condescending peace, was dripping with sarcasm right from the headline. Mike Pence bought a Valentine gift for his wife, dot, 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 CBS. Hey, isn't that Mike Pence on Wednesday night dropping a retail spot known for his selection of gifts every woman loves? She goes on to note sightings of VP yesterday at CBS. CBS White House reporter Jacqueline Elmany apparently caught up with the cashier of the store and informed her that Pence was buying a last-minute gift for his wife. Hiles' condensation was papal. She wrote, what is a Whiteman Sattler, one of those teddy bear clutching a cluster of faux flowers? The CBS reporter apparently cleared up the mystery by a post columnist and a follow-up email. Both female reporters grimaced at Pence's choice of horror for his wife, pink roses, and carnations. The cashier informed her, informed her Pence bought pink roses. She still fears Pence might have made an errant flower choice because she noticed that there were pink carnations in the box where the VP had gotten his blooms. While I desperately hoped he got the roses or over carnations, I only have a single source of that, she wrote. While Hale mocked the vice president for going to buy flowers for his wife at a drugstore, she found a single tweet for former President Obama. In the same column of today's paper, Helen co-author Helen Andrew Dyer promptly displayed a picture of the couple with a tweet and caption, praising this couple's social media PDA. The rest of the article takes down how evil this lady, lady is. That's the media. That is reporting in 2018. Because he's a Christian, you hate him. Okay. I'm going to skip our media mash because this is pretty long. In it, CBS cheers the gay dude. CBS, oh, gay dude crushing Pence. Cuomo, FBI mess up just GOP smearing the FBI. Cuomo, Christians only back truck because abortion. Ezra Klein doing exactly what I thought he would do. Trump offers infrastructure bill. The media dogs it. CNN with another facts first case of Apple's banana commercial, which I'm going to play. I got to play this because this is what they're trying to do. Okay. They're, they're tipping their hat with this commercial. So listen to this. You build a case. Facts first. This is an apple. And this is an apple. And this is an apple. And when you put them all together, you've got a case. A case of apples. Okay. Trying to build a case for impeachment. Because we don't like Trump. Do you get the implication there? That is a fucking media outlet. They used to be the most trusted name in the news. When they used to say that, that was real, my friends. I mean, we all trusted it. When there was a problem in the world, when there was a war, you went to CNN. I know I did. In the military, we had it on all the time for breaking news and reference to wars. But now, they go facts first. And basically all they're doing is being a mouthpiece for the DCCC. And building a case of apples. Then there was LeBron James. The episode uninterrupted because ESPN, once again, is just all about liberal politics now. Rolling with the champions. LeBron James and Kevin Durant. This is what he said. I'm not covering the Laura Ingram. Everybody in the world's covering that. I ignore it. 
We cannot deny that we are very divided, especially in the political arena. How would you describe the climate for an athlete who has a platform nowadays that wants to talk about what's happening in our world? James eagerly walked right through the door. The climate is hot. The number one job in America, the appointed person is someone who doesn't understand the people and really don't give a fuck about the people. When I was growing up, there was like three jobs that you looked to for inspiration. It was POTUS, it was whoever was the best in sports, and then it was like the greatest musician. You never thought you could be them, but you can grab inspiration from them. With the President of the United States, it's a bad time. While we cannot change what comes out of that man's mouth, we can continue to alert the people that watch us, that listen to us. This is not the way. It's not even a surprise when he says something. It's like laughable. It's laughable and it's scary. I agree with Laura Ingram. Because once again, you know my policy. I go to entertainment, sports, to get the fuck away from the constant cabal of liberal politics being shoved down my neck. This week alone... I watched approximately half an hour of CNN, covering the last podcast, had to shut it off. I was watching the Today Show at work, I went into Megyn Kelly, and I had to shut it off with the faux tears and everything. And I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm just done. Can't do it. Just can't do it no more. But this capitulated into ESPN's arena, so they decided to just go straight in, and Stephen A. spent a whole day. He not only talked about how King James do what he wants, and she's racist for saying he doesn't have an education, and blah, blah, blah. He had the audacity to make Parkland racist. And if you listen to Stephen A. Smith, I just talked like him on purpose. Racist that all black people in America, which I work with black people, they didn't never thought this. They thought it was crazy when they heard it come out of his mouth. That because that guy who dropped his gun, the shooter, pulled the fire alarm so he could try to sneak out with them and got caught, was in handcuffs and not dead because Trayvon Martin or something. Intersectionality is a motherfucker, Stephen A., but that didn't even make any sense. You couldn't just go with America's horrible, give up your guns. No, no, you had to go with it's a racist. Day two, because I hear it when I drive home every day in the central time zone, he was spewing on about how he's friends with Mark Levin and Sean Hannity. Don't agree with him, but I am not a liberal. Yet every show is... Got liberal bias all over, bro. Just admit who you are and roll with it. Then we got to play this. Uh, it's non-gun DACA, but here's Brian Seltz who professes him and his network are not out to get Trump. Yeah. And Mojo outright rooting for the Dems. I, I think it sums up our media coverage that will end now. In a nice little bow, this is who they are. Now, before he was hired by CNN, Brian Stelter was a star media correspondent at the New York Times. Really, that was just a warm-up. Now he covers the industry through President Trump's fog of misinformation. Andrew sat down with Stelter this week, and we'll have that conversation in a moment. But first, a little bit of background. You are fake news. Fake news, the enemy of the people. And they are. Donald Trump's war with mainstream media is well documented. 
All I can say is it's totally fake news. It's just fake. His attacks against journalists were at first shocking. Now they've become expected, a well-known tool of his outsider presidency. But the very dishonest media, those people right up there with all the cameras. Amid the chaos of a commander-in-chief attempting to discredit the news media are journalists who say their work is more important than ever. Good morning, I'm Brian Stelter, and it's time for Reliable Sources. Ahead this Brian hour, Stelter is the host of the CNN program Reliable Sources, a show that examines the media world. Stelter not only covers Trump, but also what it's like to cover Trump. The challenge for people like me as, as reporters is to refuse to be confused. I met up with him in our national studio in Toronto to talk about the role of the media in the era of Trump and if the national news media itself has crossed any lines. Brian, nice of you to join us here Thanks. in our Toronto studios. Thanks Thank for you. being here. Uh, tell me, never a dull day in the United States these days, I suppose. Uh, recently, there was the State of the Union address. Trump referred to this as a new American moment. What do you make of all of this? There were parts of the speech that were inspiring. There were also parts of the speech that were deeply divisive and some pieces that were downright false and, and, and filled with fibs and falsehoods. And, and that's, you know, classic Trump. Uh, what we've learned about him over the past year uh, is that he appeals in a, an incredibly emotional way uh, to a part of the United States and he deeply angers and causes resentment uh, and fear among another big chunk of the United States. And uh, frankly, I think a lot of news consumers are just exhausted by it all, uh, by the by the pace of the news cycle in the U.S. Well, and, and let's talk about the news cycle, because you're, you're a journalist who, who covers a lot of things. You cover journalism itself as well. And so when we look at Trump's relationship with the media in particular, the the enemy of the American people, as he's put it, I mean, that, that, that escalates things, that, that, that ratchets things up. Yes, we have not seen this before from an American president. Uh, even Richard Nixon, when he was uh, attacking the news media during Watergate, he was doing that privately. Uh, that was on tapes that only came out later. So this is very much uncharted territory uh, for the national news media in the U.S. and, and for consumers of news who, who don't know what to believe. Well, the national news media, but, but CNN in particular, right? I mean, CNN is often in the president's crosshairs. I'm curious to know how that affects you and how that's affected your work. The issue is not how, how it may affect staffers. It's how it affects uh, the audience, the people that follow him on Twitter or follow him on Facebook. Uh, the daily, daily kind of fake, fake, fake talk from President Trump is poisonous because it has this, this trickle-down effect uh, that, that causes uh, an erosion of credibility in, in the minds of some voters. It's hard to measure. It's hard to uh, prove that on a daily basis. But I checked on Twitter. I checked in his speeches. He said the word fake more than 400 times in his first year in office. That has an effect over time in people's minds. Uh, and so I think the challenge for us in the news media is to reinforce uh, why we do what we do, uh, how we try our best to be accurate and fair. Uh, it's a real opportunity. Every time he attacks the media, it's also an opportunity for us to defend and explain ourselves and uh, to remind people of our role in civic life. To that extent, it's, it's changed the way you operate? I think it has a little bit. I, I, look, when, when, he, when he tweets something offensive or, or nasty about the news media, uh, and, I, and I sometimes run over to the bureau and, and, and hop on CNN and talk about it, I do see it as an opportunity. I try to look at it as a positive to say, here's, here's how we actually do our jobs. Here's how we know that story is not fake. Here's 
how we know those sources are real. Uh, it's an opportunity for media literacy 101 when he when he throws out these uh, these tweets. Well, let me ask you this: Do you accept any of the criticism? I mean, the the extremes aside. Uh, there is a, a critical look at, at CNN, the way it operates, and that it has gone beyond simply reporting the facts and that it has, in fact, chosen sides. I don't think CNN is, or, or any other channel right now, is, is anti-Trump. What we are seeing are journalists trying to stand up for truth and decency. And uh, when President Trump gives an inspiring speech, we should and we do say so. Uh, when he makes up false stats... Uh, when he makes up fake facts, when he uh, spews lies on Twitter, then we say that as well. Um, I don't think that's opinion. I think that's much-needed context in a really confusing world. So that raises a really interesting point, too. Analysis, context, you, you mentioned the interjection of opinion. And I'm, I'm curious about some of the work that, that you've done, because on air, you, you have referred to Trump as being, or suggesting at least, that he's unfit, perhaps, for office. You've referred to his presidency as madness. Does that cross the line, do you think? The night that he tweeted about uh, his nuclear button and then 12 minutes later said he was going to give out fake news awards, you know, what can you call that other than madness? Uh, I, I thought on a night like that when he's using Twitter to talk about a, a nuclear taunt and then criticizing the press, uh, I think journalists need to have the space and the, and the freedom to talk openly about what's going on, about his his reckless use of Twitter. But I guess I wonder, is, is that a judgment for a journalist to make, right? That's the question, to, to, to make that judgment call. I think there's a, a healthy tradition in America of uh, aggressive, sometimes adversarial journalism, of journalists being on the side of the audience at home. And we're seeing more of that now. We definitely are. Let <laughs> me flip it around, because when you look at the negativity that's out there, and I, and I, I want to bring up Alex Jones of, mm -hmm. of InfoWars fame. And, 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 and granted, he is someone who, of course, is, is known for being inflammatory on, on that end of the spectrum. Yeah. And I just want to read some. You're very familiar with what he said about you. I've heard about in it, In particular. Yeah. But, but let me just read what he said yeah. about Brian Stelter. So... He has called you narcissistic, devil-worshipping filth. Uh, he wants to control every aspect of your life because he knows he is a cowardly, degenerate sack of anti-human trash. He's called you disingenuous, disingenuous fake, fake, false, false, twisted, broke back, twisted, a defiler, a betrayer, a backstabber, a devil. It, it goes on and on and on. It, and does, on. it does. How? I mean, again, his mo is is. To, to be as inflammatory and, and to spew as much as vitriol as possible. That, yeah. This is what he does. But how do you handle that? If he complimented me, then I'd be worried, you know, because he, he, he throws out all of these insults and says, I drink children's blood. Uh, some of it is, is downright disgusting. Uh, I mostly uh, ignore it, um, but I will admit that uh, some of my family members don't like hearing those kinds of things when they get amplified to millions of people. Well, and that's why this, this is a big deal, right? Yeah. Because he has a following, a big following. And, and I'm curious the extent to which you have felt the backlash, not just from him, but from all of the people who, who listen to him yeah. on a regular basis and, and in the same way that people listen to Trump, who, who believe what he said. I, you know, look, I look at Alex Jones as the dark side of an amazing phenomenon the ability for anyone to publish anything on the Internet. 
And that has caused a lot of good in, in, around the world. That has caused a tremendous amount of good. However, you, you know, when you look at these conspiratorial programs that spew hate and vitriol, that's the downside. That's the dark side of this amazing digital revolution. And as long as we can give people tools to, to know the difference, then I think things work out just fine. What I worry about is people who might not be able to discern the difference between InfoWars and the national. That would be a problem. And so I think we need to give people better tools to tell the difference. As an American journalist who has covered at length Trump's presidency and, and I suppose the presidency that came before, I mean, what is the burning question that, that you want answered? What, I mean, if you had five, ten minutes to sit down with him and to discuss, I mean, what, what is it that's top of mind for you? He seems to try to create his own realities, whether it's claiming that millions of people voted illegally or claiming that anything having to do with Russia is a hoax. To try to get to the bottom of, of that may not be possible, may not be possible for anyone uh, to figure out, but it sure would be worth trying. With President Trump, it might be useful to just dig down deep on one topic. Why do you call the Russia thing a hoax? What really did happen before Election Day? And try to dig on, on one of those topics. But hey, let's be honest, he's not giving any interviews right now to anybody that's not his friend. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. Well, certainly there would be much to discuss. Uh, Brian, <laughs> it's been wonderful to Thank talk you. to you. Thanks so much. Thanks. That the coalition uh, of the ascendant energized, all you have to do is look at what happened in Alabama. Black turnout. Yep. Higher in Doug Jones off-year special election race than it was for Barack Obama. That remains the most remarkable statistic of this year and the reason why Republicans should be shaking in their boots right now. It also remains our hope uh, for the future of this yeah, country, hope. Eddie. I mean, Eddie, what do we look like from the outside looking in? Think about it. The Republican Party has been hijacked by by extremists, and we need to be we need to say very clearly that Paul Ryan and others are complicit in those in, with those extremists. Then the second thing I would say really quickly is Mitch McConnell is playing chess while Chuck Schumer is playing checkers. Right. Um, and Chuck Schumer is going to have to answer for why he gave up the leverage with regards to defending dreamers in hope that in the hope that Mitch McConnell and Republicans would engage this debate in good faith. And what we see now is that Mitch McConnell and the Republicans are who we thought. To our stats of the day, tax Amazon, Facebook and Apple more for UK universal pay. I'm foreshadowing 2020 if a Democrat gets elected. That's what you're going to start hearing that there'll be a surcharge on all your Amazon purposes just to pay for universal health care for people other than you. Amazon will be all in because they're just super liberal. Then a newspaper cries about the First Amendment, rushed to write this. Repeal it. That's it. Not reading it. The whole thing is a total symposium on take away Guns. All of them. Cam Edwards. It would take 38 states to repeal the Second Amendment. Keep in mind, 44 states explicitly protect the right to keep and bear arms in their state constitution. So they'd have to amend their state constitution. Then amend the constitution. Ned Ryan, the left is of course deeply ignorant about what this would actually mean and how it would be implemented. It would ignite an essential civil war, confirm everything the NRA has been saying, and it would create violence that would dwarf anything we've seen in school shootings. I don't think they understand 
what that would do to gun owners. I, I'm one of them. You're not getting my AR. You're not getting it. You'll have to come and bring a SWAT team in. Because I'm not giving it up. I'm not going to shoot anybody, but I'm not giving it up. I mean, it's so inherently progressive. As I said on the last podcast, a city councilman said it to me. Gun registration. They want a list of just that gun. That's how crazy they are brain... And this person isn't a liberal. They are so brainwashed to believe that 223 weapon is a fucking nuke. That I remember the first time my wife fired it, she was so scared of it because she believed it. When I was a drill sergeant, and this was in the 90s, the first time people pulled that trigger, they were scared to death. Because the left has made it the boogeyman. And as I said over and over, and people mocked, I would rather get shot with a 223 than a fucking 30 6 Real hunting rifle. It's going to take large chunks of me away. Then, then a reality check from Minnesota. It's pretty liberal. More Minnesota's own guns, violent crime remains low. Took a hard look at the numbers and found Minnesota has a high rate of gun ownership and a low rate of crime. Violent crime rate hit a 50-year low in 2016, and in 2017, the set set a new record for firearm background checks. NICS, National Incident Criminal Background Check System, reported reportedly processed 684,000 checks on guns in 2017. That includes 473,975 permits, 94,383 handguns, and 125,516 long guns. Minnesota set another record in 2017. The State Department of Public Safety reported 283,188 Minnesotans now have permits to carry firearms. The state issued 57,651 permits to carry a weapon in public. That's down from the record of 71. There's still a lot we don't know about guns in Minnesota. An estimated 36.7% of Minnesotans own at least one firearm. But we don't know how many total guns there are in the state or exactly how many gun owners there are or how much ammunition is sold every year. But we do know crime's down. Yeah. Thought that was some good stats. Goldman Sachs CEO gives Trump credit for economy, says it's better than if Hillary won. That wasn't covered. Half of Puerto Rican housing was built illegally. Then came the Hurricane Maria. Nobody's covering that. Olympics sticks near 2018. Viewer low as 19.3 million watch on NBC. That is now down to 13 million. It's dropped 8,000. It only got a 13 in metered markets. A 13. A lot of it has to do with we really suck. We're like 10th place or 6th place or something. We're horrible. But you can't tell this because here are the articles. Dem praise gay U.S. Olympian who feuded with Pence. Senator Bob Casey, a Democrat, praised U.S. US Olympic figure skater Adam Rippon. Infectious spirit and positive attitude after his final Olympic routine Friday. Adam Rippon, your infectious spirit and positive suck, 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 shut up. Rippon finished his last Olympic routine Friday night notching 10th place in Olympic free skate. 
He also helped the U.S. men's team win a bronze in free skate. Last month, Griffin said he disagreed with Trump administration values. He had a Pence, who was long seen as an adversary to LGBT rights, doesn't really stand for anything I believe in, asserting the vice president supports gay conversion therapy. It keeps going on. Mike Pence is horrible. This guy is such a hero. The next article, this is from OutSports. Even without a gold, Adam Rippon is an Olympic champion. The week of Adam Rippon brought joy so many of us had forgotten. If ever there was a true Olympian champion, it's Adam Rippon, a guy who finished 10th place. Oh, they didn't have that. I did. As a figure skater glided across the ice after his free skate, his final bow in his first Olympic, he did so with no gold medal. Yet Rippon did something more. The Olympic creed itself deemed it so. The creed is an expression of value for the entire Olympic movement. And since it was first uttered over a 100 years ago, has guided the games and athletes. Blah, blah, blah. Creed. Few have been the personification of the Olympic creed. Quite like Rippon. He did not just take part in these Olympic games. He owned them. He was fierce. He wrapped his slight, glitterly arms around his entire event, tossed sequence across the world, and defies all the conventional wisdom who ever been told about what and who is an Olympic hero. Once again, let's pause. Normal American. Talked about it. Go back to the beginning shows. If you're gay and you like men, what the fuck are you wearing sequins for? Once again, it goes back to my long-standing belief. Vegans eat shit that tastes like beef, but killing beef is murder. Gays... One acts like a girl, one acts like a guy in both gay and lesbian relationships. And lesbians use penises, which I thought are horrible because they don't like penises. If this all made sense to me, distilled down to the crude knuckle dragon level, you'd be dating Paul Bunyan. Adam Rippa would have gone out and fucking fleece a pair of overalls or fleece. And a pair of suspended goddamn jeans, cowboy boots, big dip of jaw, and say, give me some dick. That makes sense to me. But I digress. What brought Rippon to the front of the public eye are his comments weeks before, ga-da-da-da-da, he zinged. Here's NBC broadcast, Terry Gannon. He owned the Olympics. He made them his. Rarely have we seen a sports figure more effectively captured and expressed the much-needed mood in this country, as divisions seem to creep increasingly into every corner of our lives that we're making because we hate America. I added that. And negativity pervades conversation. Ripon has been a breath of fresh air for so many Americans. Gay Americans, the fucking 7% of you, across the political spectrum is what they said. Oh, yeah! That's not a lie. Who felt beaten down by the lack of smiles and celebration of our collective national consciousness. That's you, dickheads, not us. Whether Trump's president or not, my life was going to go on November 9th. You people have stopped. Some, a select few, indeed look at Rippon with disdain. As I've written about the outspoken gay and Olympian over the last week, I've also noticed some nasty messages directed this way. Usually they're completely uninformed or totally false claims about what he said or who he is. There's no uniting these people. They have taken aim at Rippon with such venom and rather powerful statement of Rippon's achievement and hope he's brought so many gay people. Oh, they said others. 
For the rest of us young, old, gay, straight men, women, it has been ripping willingness to be his true self and express himself however he wanted and won over America. Like nothing else, Americans crave authenticity. Oh, yes, we do, and none of you are authentic. You ignored Obama for eight years. What did he do for gay people? Nothing. The Supreme Court did it. Shut up. We got so little of it in our national leaders today. People worry first and foremost about how others will perceive them. And when we get authentic served by the bucket load, we fall all over ourselves with joy. Joy! That's the what the week of Adam Ripper brought us. Joy! His pure, unadulterated, authentic self brought us joy so many of us had forgotten. It was absolutely a pleasure to watch this young man over the last week. All three times he took the ice and came to understand halfway through the final free skate that it didn't matter one bit that his official score was or whether he was a med- won a medal. His presence, his fortitude, and his message were our medals. No, Rippon didn't win a gold medal and forever be an Olympian medalist thanks to his bronze medal for the team event. But that elusive individual goal eluded him because he fucking finished 10th place. Yet Rippon won these Winter Olympics and he will forever be an Olympic champion. I have, I must have tweeted a hundred times this week. If he wasn't gay, if he was a Christian, if he was proud hetero like this guy is gay walking around, I love boobies, he'd be a loser. There'd be a lot of articles on MSNBC, CNN, fucking HuffPo, Slate, Outsport, gay basher loses big time. If Obama was the president, and he criticized, any athlete criticized Obama, they would have this covered everywhere. Obama basher falls on his face. Nathan Chen did more. Did more. Nobody cares. Because he didn't meddle either. The last article comes from HuffPo. He's the winner of the Olympics. Adam Rippon stole everyone's hearts during the Olympics. You know. And to add insult to injury, Lindsey Vaughn, first one before Adam Rippon went on in his lying bullshit Fed to him by glad fucking bullcrap about Mike Pence and conversion therapy that's been debunked by the Washington fucking Post. And said, I'm not going to the White House because he's bad. Hasn't even meddled. Not in Super G. Not in Downhill. Nothing. She failed miserably. Here's how it's written, though, because she's a Trump hater. As Lindsey Vaughn falls short in Super G, snowboarder surprised with a gold in second sport. A fucking snowboarder whipped her ass. Way back in 2010, Lindsey Vaughn felt she figured out the Olympics. It was her third winter in the games. Blah, 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 blah. But the Alpine courses are all different. And in her first race of these Papang Chang Olympics, the 33-year-old Vaughn, who is all over NBC because they love her for bashing Trump, 
need I say if it was Obama and she, she wouldn't get one endorsement, but okay. One of the most decorated female alpine, alpine skiers the sport has known was bested by a late turn and surprising versatility young Czech. Versatile, sorry. Better known for snowboarding. In Saturday's Super G event, despite an otherwise metal-worthy race, her mistake proved costly and Vaughn opened her Olympics with a disappointing tied for sixth. That was unpredictable. I gave it everything I had. I left it on the hill, which I knew I would. Just made one mistake, and that cost me a medal. In one of the biggest upsets ever, blah, 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 the 26th skier in the world, ranked 43 in Super G, stomped the piss out of Lindsey Vaughn. I think with this hill, it's not very steep, she said later. If you make one mistake, it not only affects the immediate split time, but it compounds down the entire slope. So there's really no room for error. I was prepared. I was aggressive. I had a great inspiration. I felt awesome. I skied well. Everything lined up except for one turn, and that's all it takes, and that's ski racing. That's why it's so difficult to win the Olympics, because literally anything can happen. I don't see this as a negative, she said, starting loss. Obviously, I didn't get a medal. Man, I've been waiting eight years for this. I'm super hungry, happy. I left it all on the hill. Hindsight, obviously, 2020. But I wouldn't change anything. I attacked, and that's what happened. All you can do is prepare your best, give your best, and at the end of the day, I'm going to go home, be happy with myself, because there's nothing more I could have done. I can't find an equivalency. Because in no time as a conservative prior to a race that they haven't won a fucking thing other than a participation trophy, dog the president. But you can find a hundred of these. Matt Burke, former Baltimore Raven, skips White House visit over Obama abortion stance. I would say that I have a great respect for the office of the presidency, but about five or six weeks ago our president made a comment and speech and he said, God bless Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood performs about 330,000 abortions a year. The NFL veteran announces retirement February. I'm Catholic. I'm active in pro-life movement. I just felt like I couldn't deal with that. I couldn't endorse that in any way. For God to bless a place where they're ending 330,000 lives, I just chose not to attend. As a customer, the Ravens, this year's Super Bowl champs, got a chance to meet POTUS at the White House. Other than Burke, a handful of Ravens, including Kerry Williams, were unable to attend. This isn't the first time a pro athlete has snubbed an invitation to the White House for political disagreement with Obama. Last year, Boston Broom goal Tim Thomas said he chose not to attend a ceremony honoring the Bruins' 2011 Stanley Cup victory because he felt the federal government has grown out of control. Those are bylines. Bylines. Not. Front page. But you go to HuffPo, Slate, MSDNC. Their articles are more pointed about anybody that skips that. But within that statement from Burke, do you see the difference? I am I have nothing but respect for POTUS, but my conscience doesn't allow me to do this. Because I am a Catholic and I'm against abortion. Ripping lies, didn't even have a chance at meddling. The guy was never going to meddle. They talk that shit. Media loves him. Lindsey Vaughn, talking big shit, disrespecting the president, doesn't even care about the office anymore. The office means nothing to liberals. Trump's rallying it. Which brings us 
to our one segment article before we go into news and social media nuggets. Democrats are headed for a world of deserved hurt. After years of nonstop virtue signaling as the party of truth, justice, and equality, the Democrats are slowly, inexorably being revealed to be the reverse. They are being hoisted on the petard of their own moral narcissism. It has been made, it has made them blind. So convinced of their own righteousness were they, were they, that it allowed them to participate, even instigate, and subversion of our justice system to the extent of lying to and deceiving a FISA court in the name of what they assume was good. They did this in concert with people who claim to be Republicans or independents working for the system they supposedly know because of upending Donald Trump. comes down to something as crude as this. Trump's bad guy, therefore I'm a good guy and can do or say anything I wish to destroy Trump. This is a moral narcissism taken to a pathological extreme. Practically, with each passing day, as more and more largely arbitrary redactions are pried away from the documents that were deliberately hidden for the public view in the first place by endless stonewalling, the venality of their true motivations and of their cohorts' action become more evident. The ramifications of that unmasking, note the word, will be more extensive than expected and it will reach into every aspect of our culture, even to the last lines of liberal progressive defense, the media, entertainment, and education. The results won't go in a straight line. They rarely do. And many will remain true believers no matter what. That's what true believers do. Their defender will always become increasingly shrill as the wagons continue to circle. But Democrats, and I strongly suspect many of them, are starting to realize it. Hence, that shrillness, are headed for a world of hurt. They have much to fear. They have to deal with ongoing congressional litigations for Messers, Johnson, Grassley, Goodnane, Nunes, among others. They continue to reveal information highly damaging to Democrats, the FBI, and the DOJ. Unlike the missteps and hypocrisies from the Democratic side of these investigations, not a single instance is the information revealed by these Republicans been factually disputed with success, despite endless spin. This is because the Democrats are relying almost extensively on dubious leaks augmented by slavish regurgitation from media ideologues, ideologues, Isakoff and Korn. The Republicans are relying on those actual documents, most of which have to be extracted from the FBI and DOJ with legal crowbars, eventually surfaced. More on the way, slowly but surely, probably through the summer into fall election. The timing couldn't be worse for Democrats. It is what I've been saying on this show since January 20th, 2017. They've gone too far. Straight up polling has the Republicans ahead. Trump's approval rating is up in the 50s. And the saddest thing is an article I had in the end, which I'll just talk about now. Democrats are panicked because more and more public polling is showing that the media lie up front about the tax plan. People like it. The person that comes to my work every day, she's a super lib, she does taxes. In seven years, these people are fucked. They just don't realize it. Because people enjoy more money in their paycheck. And yeah, in seven years, they'll go back to regular. But for seven years, people will get more money in their paycheck. Less goes to the government. The most astounding stack is what I said last podcast. Even with the tax cut, federal surplus 
These companies aren't hiding their money anymore. We're getting more money in. It's exactly what the plan was. But from the media, entertainment industry, all these groups, stop fascism now. Women's March. Antifa. Black Lives Matter. Eventually the media has to put out the truth. And with this 13 Russian indictment, Gay dude failing. Lindsey Vaughn failing. King James running his suck. All the hate over a gun attack in a high school. Americans are seeing Democrats for what they are. If it isn't, these are crumbs. Showing they're out of touch with the normal Americans that $20 a paycheck means something. It's fucking gas, dumbass. Dude, we're taking your guns. Why do you have that gun? You don't need that gun. We need to ban all guns. They're out of touch. Yes, that plays great in New York, Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Los Angeles, San Jose, San Jose is what I meant to say, San Francisco, Boston, probably not the gun shit, but everything else does. You're living in your bubble, you talk to your bubble, most of the country doesn't live in your bubble. Most of the country may be Democrat, but they're not extreme. Most of the country may be Republican, they're not extreme. More of us say we're independent. We hate both parties. But right now we're watching a party do everything they can to destroy a president. Go well beyond McConnell's my job is to take him, not let him be reelected. That is normal politics. You try to make it racist, didn't work. Normal politics. You've gone to the next level. From faithless electors down to everything. And this entire cabal of Russia, 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 you should have stopped. A lot of people are on the internet, a lot of smarter conservatives than I am, saying this was just a cover-up because you knew your shit was going to get out. That's why Susan Rice sent her own email to herself. But now we know Obama knew she had an email. Now, an illegal server. Now we know Obama was directly involved. Now we know through Sork and Page... The FBI was after him. Now you got Philip Mullen on CNN showing the political bias in a non-partisan organization, supposedly. It's feeding in to what everybody was saying. You just didn't like Trump because he wasn't part of the establishment. So you did everything you could so he couldn't get elected. And the normal American in the middle of this country goes, you know what? Why can't a normal person be president? Trump may be a flying fucking garbage fire and his Twitter account's embarrassing as fuck. Yeah, probably saying I grab people by the vagina isn't that cool. <clears throat> but you saying we pick who the president is, that's way uncooler. So I thought this article is pretty apropos. It seems like the harder they push, the more it falls apart. And Adam Rippon and Lindsey Vaughn are key examples. 
Maybe if you did something like your job, you could have won that medal. But instead, you're playing politics. Maybe the Democrats really had a plan to do anything about anything other than take it away, NRA. But they've been obstructionist on a level that the GOP could only dream of. You've gone next level jumping sharkness. And America's watching. To a music break. Great song from Sicario. Gonna do that for a lighter fare today. First time I watched the movie because that fucking bitch talked shit about America. And news. Social media nuggets.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, see these girls? No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls, and they'll pop your figs. Vanessa, thank you. Well, today is Veterans Day, a day we honor the men and women who serve to protect our country. And that includes Captain Flo Groberg, who came to our country as an immigrant, went on to join the U.S. Army, and received the Congressional Medal of Honor. Here's, he's here now in studio to talk about his new book, Eight Seconds of Courage, published by Simon & Schuster, a division of CBS. What an honor to talk to you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So you grew up, you were born, I should say, in France. I was. Came over to the U.S. when you were a child, right? Correct. What inspired you to join the Army? So... My uncle, who was a um, Algerian, and so he, um, late 80s, early 90s, he was an imam, a preacher of the Muslim faith in Algeria, and the, this terrorist organization called the GIA came into Algeria to try to take over the government. In essence, just like ISIS is, mm -hmm. uh, did in Syria and Iraq. These are your parents that we're looking at now, but continue. Yeah, that's, uh, well, that's not my parents. No, that's the picture the that just yeah. passed. That's the president and, and your fiance. Um, and and so he fought and he was killed in 1996. He was shot, uh, he was beheaded, and he was dismembered, sent back to my family. And so when we moved to the United States, that was a big, you know, a personal problem and, and situation for me. And then 9-11 happened. Mm -hmm. I'd just been naturalized as a U.S. citizen. I was adopted by my dad from Gary, Indiana. Um, and I had no other choice but to you know, put on a uniform and serve my country and earn the right to call myself an American. In August of 2012, you were on your second tour, your second deployment to Afghanistan, and your job was to, you said it was kind of like the Secret Service, you were in charge of protecting the military VIPs. The eight seconds, which is the, the title of your book, was the amount of time it took you to run at and push away a suicide bomber. Take us back to that day and what, and what happened. Yeah, we were running a personal security detail for Colonel Mingus at the time, and we were going to the Kunar Province Security Meeting, and it happened every week, every Wednesday. And so we were very familiar with the, with the area. But on that specific day, the enemy decided to um, target us with two suicide bombers. So they came at us with a diversion, brought two motorcycles in front of our patrol as we were walking towards the compound for the meeting. Um, at the same time, a man came out of a structure to our left. At that point, um, when I saw him, identified him, I couldn't see a weapon on him, so I couldn't actually engage him with my weapon. And so the next uh, course of action, this uh, is called escalation of force, is, you know, go towards him. So I yelled at him, ran at him, grabbed him, hit him. 
um, realize. You ran at him. Yeah. Look, he had a suicide. He had a vest on. Well, he's a threat. Yeah. You know, he's a threat, and and so you never you never know exactly what the threat is until you get that close to him. And so when I was holding him, I realized this was definitely it in regards to the suicide vest. So it just did my job, which is I try to throw him as far away as possible, as quickly as possible, because you got to protect the boss. But we still lost four. You lost four lives. We have we have pictures of the four, and this is the this is what you you. You received the Medal of Honor for. Tell us about these four men who we're seeing right here. So you have uh, Major Kennedy. Obviously, he's a native of, of uh, New yeah, York. Yeah, New uh, City, New York. Uh, we have uh, Commander Sandra Griffin. We have Major Gray, who is Air Force, and then we have uh, Reggie Abdel Fattah, who was USAID State Department. Uh, you talk about four incredible Americans right there. Uh, you know, family man, community man, well, well respected in their professions, mm -hmm. uh, willing to sacrifice everything for the well-being of our nation and to protect our flag and our families and our way of life. And so they did it on August 8, 2012. You know, we have this weird thing that um, it's not weird, but when a person doesn't make it in combat, we call them, it's a hero call. And so I just think. That's so fitting in regards to why we call our fallen comrades, our fallen mm -hmm. patriots, you know, heroes. Because, heck, if we do it out there overseas when one of us doesn't come home, it's called Hero Call. And yeah. maybe it's the right name for it. And you received the Medal of Honor. What was that like? I'll, I'll be honest with you. When I received the medal, I, it, was, uh, it was uncomfortable. I almost felt shame. Uh, because you're talking about the worst day of my life, where four great Americans didn't come home, and but I you have. saved a lot of other lives. It's true, it's true. But you know, I think we're in our profession. It's about being perfect, and even when you're perfect, things bad things can happen. And so I struggled with that fact for a long time in regards to my friends not coming home and I living. The guy blew up on my feet, yes. and I lived, and they were almost twenty or thirty feet away, and they, they didn't they didn't make it. Um, but it was an honor to receive it. And just lastly, what do you want people to know here on Veterans Day about the men and women who serve in our military? So we love this country. Yeah, that's you know we should be really, uh, we should take a moment to step away and realize like why this country is the most important country in the world, the best country in the world because we have the best people and you have individuals who are willing to sacrifice it all for our well-being and everything that we represent. Thank you for being here. It's such an honor to speak with you. And thank you for your service to our country. Thank Happy you. Veterans Day. Happy and for more information and a link to buy 8 Seconds of Courage, it is a great read. Go to our website, cbsnewyork.com. That was 8 Seconds, a uh, new, new movie about this Medal of Honor winner. And I thought it was really interesting, so I wanted to play it because we're in our military corner. Second article, here's what you need to know about a new ruling linking burn pits and lung disease. Basically, contractors sued the government. Basically, they found that there is a thing a linkage between that. There's over 130,000 veterans who have submitted their names for burn pit registry and it eventually will filter down. Um, what they, well, eventually, but the initial ruling, we don't think it will impact VA or 30, Title 38 at all. Veterans Fair, former person, God, blah, blah, blah. Decision was made by an administrative law judge and fund under the Department of Labor, Weissman said. Decisions made in those cases have no legal procedure the way the Federal Circuit Court ruling would. However, it is likely the defense contractors will be aware of this decision, and therefore they may be more willing to settle claims such as this. This is a much bigger win for the civilian personnel involved in the war than it is for the military personnel. That's not to say the ruling doesn't do anything to help veterans advocates and lawyers seeking to change the VA's stance on burn pit exposure. As I've talked on the show, though, <clears throat> I got 25% disabled from my sinuses alone. I do not believe 
that that was just straight up. I think it had something to do with war service. That's why it hit me, or that's why it was awarded to me. I think they just did it, because eventually they're going to have to. It's no different between this and Gulf War Syndrome. We are inhaling highly carcinogen levels. We are inhaling really bad shit in the initial invasions in countries, whether it be WMDs, burning buildings, all that. And then on top of it, we burn our trash because there's no waste sanitation in these countries. And you breathe it all day. As stated, I had defensive positions with my platoon, initial occupation of Kandahar Airfield, Afghanistan. Right behind us was an old sewage holding area. That's where they threw the garbage. That's where they burned it. We sat and breathed it. It was horrible. Smell like shit. Prevailing winds were usually going towards us to the west and or east. And it was horrible. Just horrible. So, uh, once again, I don't think this is going to help initially, but every doggone court ruling on this, eventually the VA will have to capitulate and vets can get the needed benefits they deserve. Which takes us to our college crazy. Clemson Senator defeat ideological indoctrination proposal. Clemson University students struck Senate struck down a proposal to make mandatory diversity training a condition of serving in student government, which one senator called a poorly disguised attempt at ideological indoctrination. During the debate, one senator suggested making the training highly recommended rather than mandatory, but the proposal's sponsor objected that only the people that already agree would attend. It is indoctrination. But we've already reported like five times a a tenant to graduate is diversity because they just want to brainwash everybody. Minnesota legislation takes an intellectually bullying on campus. A Republican state senator in Minnesota is proposing a legislation to ensure that public colleges and universities adhere to their constitutional obligation to allow freedom of speech. The bill would specifically forbid administrators from imposing restrictions on speech, including ideas and opinions they find offensive, and would also allow outlaw so-called free speech zones. That's two victories up front. Woohoo! Yeah, the rest are all losers. UC Berkeley allocating up to 800k for undocumented students. After meeting with an illegal immigrant student who was detained by ICE shortly after New Year's, UC Berkeley Chancellor Carol Christ announced a massive expansion of resources for undocumented students. Part of the commitment involves allocating 800000 to grant fund that provides needed-based, need-based financial aid. And a spokesperson said the school anticipates that many of these students who qualify would be undocumented. So let's not take care of American students who are sucking buttermilk, and for you liberals out there, specifically African-American, no, 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 no. Let's not take care of the poor black female that we're always talking about in abortion and everything else. Fuck her, college. She's got the wrong brown skin. That's racist as fuck. And if I was a black person, I would be on CNN, or no, I'd be on Joy Reid. No, wait a minute. Joy Reid wouldn't have me on. She only cares about those people, too. Never mind. 
Divestment Handbook reveals anti-Israel group strategy. A divestment handbook produced by Student for Justice of Palestine were recently leaked, revealing the anti-Israel group strategy for advancing the BDS movement on college campuses. One notable strategy is intersectionality, which involves ensuring SJP chapters do not have too many white or male members. Oh, that's horrible. However, the guide first warned students about the importance of intersectionality, asking them to consider if there are more white students than students of color. And their J- SJP organization it makes me think of Goldberg. JTP! I just want to scream at the Race is always present in grassroots organization, the guide cautions. Are there more white students than students of color in your organization? Are the opinions of pro-divestment Jewish students valued over those of Palestinians? Are you tokenizing the struggle of black, native, or Latino students instead of carefully engaging with them? Women and non-binary folks do the busy and behind-the-scene work while men become the face of the campaign? The handbook continues stressing the importance of creating an intersectional student movement. How do I read that? The face of your movement cannot be a white person. It must be a person of color. Later on in the article, calling it a shrewd and potentially appealing way of manipulating students, it's shrewd because it doesn't yell and scream about how horrible Israel is. Instead, the handbook very subtly sends the message that Israel is an oppressive occupier of Palestinian Arab land and human rights abuse country that deliberately kills innocent of Palestinian Arab civilians. However, subtle, subtly delivered, the message is outrageous and could be free, couldn't be further from the truth. I am telling you right now, these crazy-ass people that care about Palestine, just crack me up. But we had a president then, Muslim Brotherhood. Those were good guys. Conservatives were bad. An open letter to white people who are upset because Black Panther is so racist. This came from The Root. I'm going to start going to The Root occasionally. Because it is some crazy racist fucking shit. If you had the root white people, it would be off the internet. But you can have the root part of NBC that puts out trite like this. I admit that I've been reluctant to write this letter. It has nothing to do with my dislike for you or your people. In fact, some of my best friends are whites. You know, when I say some of my best friends are black, you're like, oh, that's racist. Hmm, interesting. Well, one of my best friends is white, okay? I'll be honest. All of my best friends are black. But none of them, one of them is kind of light-skinned. And when I was in 11th grade, I went to a new edition concert with three Caucasian classmates. So that could count for something. Did you hear that? That's racist as fuck! But my hesitancy is penning this correspondence based on another fact. I don't believe you were real. I didn't... I didn't believe you were real, excuse me. I didn't discount your existence the way I don't believe in unicorns, good cops, or Rihanna. Yeah, I said it. I believe Rihanna is a highly advanced, computer-generated, image-based, yeah, whatever, shut up. When people told me that there were actual individuals upset about the upcoming Marvel movie Black Panther that is being forced on America at a level I've never seen, Walmart's got full fucking mock-ups, 12-foot-tall sales shit, oh my god. I thought they were exaggerating or overestimating the number. I expect there was always a few fringe kooks who share an idiotic idiotic ideology. 
Kyrie Irving and B.O.B. think the earth is flat. Some people believe that Donald Trump is both stable and a genius. And once on the dance floor of a crowded nightclub, a woman told me I was handsome and cute. At least that's what I think she said, although she may have said you're standing on my foot. This guy's trying to be funny, not. My point here is sometimes people have widely diverging opinions. Just as I was ready to dismiss the notion that there might be more than a handful of people who dislike the notion of Black Panther movie before they even see it... <clears throat> Someone sent me a transcript of Rush Limbaugh ranting about liberals embracing Black Panther. I honestly get why Limbaugh was upset. If I were a half-deaf, impotent walrus who had to sit in front of a microphone yelling at white senior citizens who still listen to AM radio while popping Oxycontin like Tic Tacs during a commercial break, I'd probably be a little jealous of T'Chilla, too. Plus, Limbaugh's racist, and the film does have the word Black and Panther in it, so there's that. Take that paragraph... Let's throw it together. Reverse black. Make a white. A white guy saying it. Racist as fuck. But people kept sending me things. There was a story called Black Panther Obviously Racist, a Breitbart article that called the comic book Black Lives Matter themed. And that piece when Ben Shapiro crumpled into a rice paper thin ball of fuckboy fragility in a nonsensical monologue about how this is a fault of black people leftists and of course Barack Obama. Still, that's only three people. And then, like a fool, I ventured in the land of white nonsense where coffee machines and Bluetooth speakers somehow have all colluded to form a plot to eradicate the great arithmetic race. Twitter. Black Panther movie? Actors all black? Latinos? What the fuck? GLBTQ? What the fuck? Whites? Anywhere we saw is perceived as a racist. Anything we say is perceived as racist. In America, you're not allowed to be white and proud. In America nowadays, the most racist group is by far blacks. It's not an opinion that can't be debated. Not all, of course, just the majority. Racism against whites is allowed, and they are proud to be against whites. How long till? Okay, I'm going to make a superhero movie called The White Avenger. I will only cast white people and base my hero off KKK. Also, no one is allowed to write bad reviews. Jason Bonnet wrote. But it's Twitter, I reason. White people on Twitter are like Incredible Hulk when it's off his meds. They get mad at anything. Then I happened upon a well-reasoned discourse between writer Zach Lindley and random Facebooker. Imagine having superior complex, superiority complex so deeply conditioned in your psyche that you believe your singular presence as a white person would be enough to suck all the black joy out of the world ass theaters. And these are their allies. So I carefully did not buy Black Panther tickets for opening weekend because I didn't want to be the white person sucking black joy out of the theater. What's the appropriate date for me to buy tickets? Is next weekend okay? I can understand why some white people are upset. After all, I distinctly recall how upset black people were about Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Harry Met Sally, Twilight, Terminator, Passion of the Christ. You're admitting. That's a tell. They were upset. To be fair, the above-mentioned movies were not comic book movies. Making a film about a superhero from an all-black place is egregiously offensive. Especially since Marvel puts so much detail in making sure its other superhero movies had diverse cast. I recall how white outrage forced Hollywood in casting a Southern, a South American actress play Wonder Woman since she was from a fictional race of Amazonian warriors. If she was Israeli or something, it would mean white people didn't care about the ethnicity of a comic book character until a black one came around and triggered the racist. You know that? Know what? I'm not even going there. She's got to be from South America. A WIPO would look very stupid right now. We really thank you for making sure they include black actors every time they flash back to Superman's home planet at Krypton. Plus, we're probably making up the white outcry when someone floated the idea that Donald Glover might be the next Superman or Idris Elba 
play James Bond, I probably imagine the Wipos were upset about John Boyega playing a storm super, just like I dreamed about Rihanna or that woman who thought I was handsome. Because white people have repeatedly stood up for inclusion and diversity in casting, we would like to admit that this is our fault. Forgive us for being excited that there is finally a movie that caters to our sensibilities without kowtowing to the notion of a white savior. I tell you what we'll do. To make this up to you, we promise that we will remain marginalized, mostly ancillary characters, and most of Hollywood blockbuster for the rest of the year. We'll also swear that we will allow you to win and be nominated for bulk of the Oscars, Golden Globes, Emmys, Elisamal, spelling bees, luge races, school shootings, mass murders, police shooting trials, Senate races, and rose ceremonies on The Bachelor. I don't want there to be any hard feelings. I know that white people have so little to celebrate in America that seeing black people smile, if only for one second, could just be the thing that breaks your little racist heart. Sincerely, your handsome and cute black friend. That is racist as fuck. And it goes back to what I've been saying on the show. The only people who count the characters, if they're gay, brown, whatever, Muslim, are liberals. And the KKK. You're the same people. Because normal Americans go to the theater, I don't give the fuck if the lead character is a Martian. I'm coming to see a show. That's, that's why I'm there. I don't, I don't give a fuck. I don't count ethnicity. I don't look if they're women. I don't do any of this shit. But you do. On a regular basis. This is what you do. This guy tips his hat to what he's about. He hates white people. Sorry. I get a drink. And what makes this so special is as he rails against Ben Shapiro, Rush Limbaugh, and all that shit, you are the black version of Rush Limbaugh. That's your article. You're a racist. You're an outright racist. You hate white people. And you just proved it in the letter that got printed in the National Broadcasting Company. But the inverse of that article never sees the light of day. Just... An article saying Black Panther being shoved down America's throat for intersectionality. Yeah, that, that's not even being printed. Nobody can even write it. A, I would never go to Black Panther because I don't do comic books. I'm done with all these characters I know nothing about and they're all the same. Eventually, Iron Man flies in and wins the day. So fucking call it Iron Man. But B, you have made it a point to say this isn't my movie. Don't come see it. That's all your press says. Don't come see it. So guess what? I won't. Moving on. Viral poem by student of Baltimore City Public Schools. Actually written by a 30-year-old man. Intersectionality went crazy on this. People loved the fuck out of it. It was the best thing ever because it was about a poor black kid who doesn't have a pencil. Problem is, it wasn't a poor black kid. It was a black man, 38 years old, trying to make it something out of something. There's not a school on the planet that doesn't have supply drives. Shut the fuck up. UN. Gender neutral expressions. 
The act of avoiding gender-specific nouns, a conscious choice to exclude expressions that use the masculine form when making a generic reference to both men and women. Their big push. Want to fight gender bias? Avoid gender-specific nouns. Instead of saying mankind, you should say humankind. What did Chet Cannon say? Your Twitter handle. UN Women. So, I'm not supposed to do it, but you're doing it. That's really funny. And to show that the glad LGBT mafia that I'm always talking about, people are like, oh, you're full of shit. Gay country singer debuts music video deplores less tolerant fans. I'm just going to let that sit. <laughs> this is like the, the Christian Baker. We're just shoving a guy out there who's going to sing about being gay. Yeah, that's good. The Swiss! This one cracks me the fuck up. This is liberalism. This is what we would be if there was never a normal Americans voting. If they took the voting right away from us and just let the coast vote, we would have this. When it comes to cooking fresh lobster, the Swiss are now saying, we feel your pain. A law goes in effect March 1st that bans the common cooking method of tossing a live lobster in a big pot of boiling water, quickly killing the tasty crustacean. The practice being outlawed because the Swiss say it's cruel and lobsters feel pain. I want to stop. They're now saying you can electrocute or sedate the lobster and thrust a knife in his brain. That's how you got to cook it. These are the same people who say a fetus doesn't feel an abortion, even though that's a lie. These are the same people that say sucking a human through razor blade vacuum is a choice. A right to choose. It's under women's reproductive health rights. Same people. But you worry about a lobster. Yeah. Okay. Charlotte Mother gets seven days in jail for baptizing daughter. Charlotte Mother has been sentenced to seven days in jail having her daughter baptized. The court case goes back a couple years to when Kendra Stock and Paul Schaefer were in custody battle over their daughter. Court documents say the two would, could never agree on religion. According to court records, Schaefer is practicing Catholic but attends Mass every week and that ultimately the court granted him final decision-making authority for legal custody decisions including religion. So they're throwing her in jail because she baptized. And if that's where you've gone with your relationship, you're just horrible people. But right now, if my grandkids who are supposed to be coming sometime in March and I even talked about religion, I, I'd probably get the same lawsuit. Liberals hate Christians. They just fucking hate them. Hurricane police calling the FBI after, wait for it, ISIS flag found flying at a Utah high school. Police have enlisted help of the FBI after an ISIS flag was found in place of America flag on the Hurricane High School flagpole. Following hours of investigation, including an analysis of federal agents, police have determined the flag swap was not executed by infamous terrorist group. Based on the information received from the FBI, we do not believe this act was per perpetuated by someone linked to the Islamic State. Hurricane police send the news release. However, police are still searching for vandals or vandal for doing it. Isn't that amazing? But in our media, ISIS is cooler than the NRA, so yeah. Pilot forced to make emergency landing after fight breaks out 
when passenger refuses to stop farting. I'm just going to let it go. I'm not even going to read it. I just wanted to be, I just had to say that. They got so pissed off. There was a fight. They landed in the plane because dude wouldn't stop farting. Yeah. Technology. Human speech will be replaced by thought communication by 2050, claims expert. Man, I hope that never happens because I think some pretty horrible shit sometimes. And that means other people would know what I'm thinking. Not good. And then last but not least, I had to do this because intersectionality. Lowell woman held in road rage slang. Mark DeVoe, a Peabody construction worker, was on his lunch break from a project, blah, 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 blah. Someone is following him. us. I think we have a problem. DeVoe was dead less than two hours later. DeVoe, 34, was killed by a single gunshot wound to the chest. The police said the other driver fired following a confrontation near Gallagher International Terminal. The driver, Garcia Polano, Garciella, I don't know his surname, 20, gave the address, was ordered held without bail. Police report on the killing say DeVoe, co-worker, 34-year-old, told DeVoe to drive through a terminal parking lot instead of returning to their work site next door with Polano following them. DeVoe stopped the terminal parking lot. Polano parked next to them, according to the police report. DeVoe's co-worker told police DeVoe and his woman later identified as Polina were yelling back and forth at each other when he saw the woman reach for something in her waistband, according to police report. The co-worker told DeVoe, come on, forget it. It's just a girl. And both men got back in the DeVoe's car and drove away. Polino continued to follow them down the terminal access road and shot him. Never see that in the light of day in our media because it's always men beating on women, correct? So um, I covered it because if you want equality on the Flyover Politic podcast, you get equality. You're a horrible human being, just like the men that do it, which takes us to our lighter fare. So, a while back, uh, this movie called Sicario came out, and me and the wife didn't go see it. I really wanted to see it. It was about the drug trade and this special unit that goes and just fucks people up and plays just like the cartel does. Chop people head off, disembowel them, yada, yada, yada. But Emily Blunt decided to run her suck face about how horrible fucking America is, so I never went. So this weekend, uh, passed, not the weekend we're in now, um, we watched it. One of the greatest movies I've ever fucking seen. I love that movie. And the music was awesome, and that's why I played it for a bumper, because that B sound is just scary as fuck. There's a scene where they're in a tunnel, and they put the B sound, and it's just evil. It's just evil. Anyway. But, another one's coming out. And so I want to play the trailers for the new Sicario 2, and I'm probably saying it wrong, Cesario, whatever the fuck. And I'm going to go see this, and do one of our book report segments on it. So here are the two trailers they've leaked. I think it's coming out in March. The State Department is pulling an agent that specializes in responding to escalated cartel activity. Ever been to what is before? You're not American. Mm. Who do you work for now? Oh, I go where I'm set. Get your weapon out. 
shouldn't have seen. I'm gonna tell everyone what you did. That would be a major mistake. you define terrorism the current definition is any individual or group that uses violence to achieve a political goal the administration believes that the drug cartels fit that definition this thing through I'm gonna have to get dirty turning you loose I'll lose no rules this time adios start a war with who everyone that's gonna be a fantastic movie and it's evil and it's just doggone it I I think what hit me as a combat vet is the fact we fight wars trying to be liberals and nice. Everybody we fight, from the cartel to ISIS to Al-Qaeda to the Germans, are evil. And when you become as evil as them, they stop. But when you try to do it with nicey-niceness, yeah, we lose a lot more people when we should just be chopping heads. And to end on a positive note, kind of summing up, that article, Democrats are in a world of hurt. The ratings are in in CNN, and they don't look good. According to Adweek, CNN was a negative 30% total primetime viewers and a down 23% total daily viewers from last year for the week of February 5th through 11th. CNN did not even crack the top 10 for primetime viewers on cable while its competitors, MSDNC and Fox News, were number 2 and number one, respectively, that being Fox News. The network's commentators and guests have all been critical of Trump. On air, he has been compared to communist, fascist dictator, or someone with Alzheimer. Recently, a CNN reporter went to Iowa to talk to Trump voters, many of whom dismantled the network's Russian coverage, called the Russian investigation a political witch hunt from the get-go, and a disgrace. America... <clears throat> it's starting to get over you. If the media does not balance out their coverage, <clears throat> as I say on every podcast, you're in a world of hurt. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share this with your family and friends. Send comments by emailing F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. 
foppodcast.gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Flyover Politic webpage at foppodcast.com. Foppodcast.com. It's a theme. To see links for feeds to the show, links to our Facebook page, and to email us. There you'll also see a link to every episode on the episode release page. And a blog on the blog page, which I haven't blogged in a really long time. I probably should. Next podcast will be the 23rd, 23rd of February, year of our Lord, 2018. And hopefully we'll have some new subjects because this shit's getting old. I hope you enjoy your Sunday. Have a safe work week. Remember to disconnect from all your devices. Give undivided attention to your family and friends because this is a short ride. You need to make every day count. And as always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Make sure to check out our webpage at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. Until next time, remember it's a short ride. Make every day count. Yeah. Mm-hmm.